In a world filled with turmoil, hatred, disinformation, and massive doses of skepticism, is it possible to rely on anything or anyone? Is absolute truth and certainty in any form available to us mortal beings? Ask over 2.3 billion people alive in the world today, and they would declare that the Most High, the Father of all, has assuredly sent His Son, who came into this world in the flesh. During His time on earth, He taught, healed, restored, rebuked, loved, and offered eternal life to any who believed and followed the doctrine His Father gave Him. They would also assert that He was put to death by crucifixion and rose again from the dead on the third day his disciples being witnesses to these events, spreading the good news throughout the nations and transforming the world forever. Nevertheless, many today still doubt he ever existed. Some claim he was simply a construct of Rome to pacify the people of the Most High from further uprisings. Jews to this day vilify him as simply a magician or a demon beguiling the people. Others denounce him as a copy of pagan gods that preceded his coming. Some would say he existed but was just a common man. Lastly, even some who were once his devout followers have recently and abruptly changed course and have branded him as a false prophet, joining the ranks of the multitudes who deny him and the scriptures altogether. Despite all this, we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Yeshua, commonly known as Jesus, was in fact who he claimed to be, the Son of the Most High, the Savior of the world provable by historical records, archaeology, testimonies, and the prophecies that the scriptures foretold and bear witness of him. Join us as we review the compelling evidence. It just may change your life forever. Hello and welcome. My name is Adam from Parable of the Vineyard. Joined with me today is Lyndon from Left and Right Ministries. Shalom. Together we form Ancient Path Revivals. And we're going to be talking about something that's been heavily debated over the last 2,000 years. Is Jesus, or some of us have come to calling him his Hebrew name. I say Yahusha, you say? Yeshua. Right? But we, so we can still have fellowship, right? Mm -hmm. um, is he who he says he is? Is he the son of the most high? And we're going to be looking at different parts of this question. Uh, can we trust the scriptures? Uh, what kind of manuscript evidence is there for the New Testament? Uh, what about uh, apparent contradictions or variations in the texts? Uh, these are some of the things we're going to look at, as well as looking at the Bible itself, the Torah, the prophets to, well, we believe to prove that he is exactly who he says he is, which is the son of the most high and mm. the savior of the world. Mm, amen. So with that, let's get right into it. Lyndon, how can someone be sure that the gospel accounts are trustworthy? So when you look at the evidence of the manuscripts that are out there, uh, not only do we have over 5,800 Greek New Testament manuscripts, which is a ton more than any other ancient document that is out there. So that alone is quite a bit of evidence in itself. Um, but we can trust that they're reliable or trustworthy because of the uh, amount of small, and this is actually going to sound contradicting, but small variations in the text. Well, how does that prove anything if there's variations yeah, in the text? Some people would say, well, if there's differences, then it must be fake, right? 
Well, actually, due to the incredible amount of manuscripts, it actually makes it virtually certain that the Gospels are accurate uh, and and with the variations. Um, a textual variant, for those of you who may not know what a variant is, uh, is any place among the manuscripts uh, in which there is a variation in wording, including word order, uh, omission of or addition of words, um, even spelling differences. Those are all variations, and that, you know, Literally, if one document has, uh, in a certain verse, a one word spelled differently, then that becomes a variant. And so it's there's a ton of variants. And because there's just little things that are just like one slight letter is changed or there's one little nuance that's a little different. But 99%, 99%, and this is coming from scholars like Dr. Daniel Wallace and others who are on the front line, like Bruce Metzger, who are on the front line of the uh, manuscript evidence that we have out there. Uh, 99% of textual variants relate only to a spelling error, word placement error, or something of such a small difference. The 1% is the verses that may seem to contradict, you know, or may seem to, uh, to the, as those scribes have added this text in there. Um, for example, in Matthew 17, verse 2, you know, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm as many of our translations say, uh, but the earliest manuscripts stop at prayer. Mm. And so, you know, it's like, hmm, well, why do they do that? You know, well, some manuscripts had fasting. This is how they find the gaps that need to be filled in. Is that they're like, oh, well, this manuscript says here, and this variation says here, and they, they're able to say, see the, the original manuscript from all of this. Like, they're able to really come... Very close. Very, 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 very close. 99% to the original. is pretty close. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, we can't even get that close to any other ancient document. Right. So some, you know, some people may throw out this evidence as as just, you know, just oh uh, whatever, have some reason for why this isn't accurate. But then they'd have to do that with all of history. It's true. So because we don't have historical documents that get as close as the New Testament even does. New, uh, textual criticism is something I also want to touch on. And it's necessary when evaluating New Testament manuscripts. Uh, Don Stewart, a famous scholar out there within textual criticism, says the goal of textual criticism is to establish the original reading of the text. To accomplish this goal, the textual critic sifts through the manuscripts and carefully compares them with one another. This is to ascertain as much as it is possible how the variations occurred. The goal of the New Testament textual criticism is to recover the original text. So just confirming what I had just said. Uh, is to fill in the gaps, right? Um, and so to further that, the New Testament copies are much earlier. They're so close, like within the first two to three centuries of Yeshua's life, death, and resurrection. That is incredibly close. And so if you study manuscripts, you, you know, you're going to be looking for, well, I, it has to be during the life of Yeshua, or it has to be during the life of the disciples. Well, that's not actually how we get really any of our history out there. It's always whenever some famous person died. Right. It's like, that's when we get the historical document. Sometimes they wrote during that life because they had records or whatever, you know, but honestly, that's not how we get most of our stuff. Even like a, if someone were to have a biography or an autobiography, mm-hmm. it, it's not like they're journaling, they're, you know, writing the book as they, right. as they live. They're recollecting their life, at, you know, as at the, towards the end of it, you know? Right. Uh, 
And so it's, it's much closer than any classical text out there. But most of the New Testament is available from copies that are only 100 to 150 years after its compilation, while a copy of the entire New Testament dates from about another 100 years after that. In contrast, the classical counterparts generally date from 700 to 1,400 years after their original compositions. Right. That's a lot of time. Let's back up a second. You said over 5,800 copies of yes. the New Testament alone. Alone. In Greek. What is, I think you have a chart maybe we might be showing everyone, but right. how does that compare to like some of the other famous works throughout history that people trust and rely on? So as we look at the chart, we see, you know, Lucretius, uh, Pliny, Plato, Demosthenes, Herodias, you know, uh, Aristophanes, Caesar. Like these are very, very famous people. And when we get a copy of it, it's not until 1,000, 1,200, 750 years until after their life. And people trust these documents. And people trust these documents. That's how we get our- What about the number of documents? Like, again, comparing the 1,500 copies, copies, right. Right, and then the copies are even less significant in number. So, you know, with Plato, who everyone loves to quote Plato, if you're a philosopher, Right. right? Well, there's only seven copies. Compared to 1,500. 1,800. Hundred. Now, where how how are how are some of these manuscripts recovered? So the way that they were recovered is vastly different. So you can we find manuscripts actually still to this day they find manuscripts in archaeological digs, and so it sometimes they're recovered from homes, sometimes they're recovered from literally piles of trash. We found uh, a copy of the first chapter of Matthew in a what was literally a trash heap in Egypt that was covered in dust. Wow. And the first chapter of Matthew was recovered that way by actually someone who was just going to Egypt to, they were hoping to find some manuscripts. That's what they were looking for. And they end up just by their foot, like dusting off some of the ground and they see this papyrus on the ground. And so papyrus was originally what they wrote uh, the manuscripts on. It was the oldest uh, form of writing a manuscript was on papyrus. Uh, I mean, you could find it in caves as well. You could find it, you know, find certain drawings or whatever, but the manuscripts that we have are the oldest form was a papyrus sheet, uh, which is just paper, right? Right. It's not uh, just a font on word document. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also, it's also something that, that, uh, usually degrades over time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's harder to find. It's actually a lot harder to find full papyrus sheets, you know, that's just, it's so rare. Uh, you know, to find a full papyrus sheet. It's usually got holes in it or it's dusted away a lot. So the fact that we have so many manuscripts is incredible. Like the the papyrus should have not lasted. Uh, I mean, the original documents have more assuredly probably gone to dust because they probably were passed around thousands and thousands of times. So basically what you're saying is if we're trusting works like Plato and others that are written hundreds, if not a thousand years later, and have a minuscule amount of evidence, if we're willing, if, if from a historical perspective, if we're willing to trust that as history, you know, are we willing to trust uh, the New Testament, which has over 5,800 copies and was written shortly after the events unfolded? Exactly. I mean, that is, that is exactly what yeah. I'm talking about. You know, the fact that there's only that there's 99% you know, of textual variants uh, are only relating to a spelling error, a word placement error, or something of small difference. You know, it, it's, it goes to show that these small differences really show, like, actually help us understand more of what it was saying. I'd like to speak just one thing on that. Um, in, in researching this, um, 
you know, because the scriptures say test all things. In researching this, um, something I found fascinating that I didn't know uh, prior to doing this research was um, I, I've been sharing with you uh, research from from Jay Wallace, yeah. who is a, a forensic uh, uh, investigator, a detective, if you will, uh, who um, specializes in in evaluating witnesses, witness testimonies, and what he's taught us is that. Um, these these gospel accounts, even though there's variations, that actually makes it more credible and more believable. Because uh, if everyone, if you had four gospels and they said the exact same thing, that's just a copy, mm-hmm. right? But you can see there's different writing styles. Diff- uh, people see it from different perspectives. One thing that I, I really enjoy that he mentioned is that um, in the in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Messiah's uh, being beaten and they're mocking him, saying, "Prophesy to us, you Christ, who hit you?" And you're thinking to yourself, like, well. How is that, you know, how is that difficult? He can see who's hitting mm-hmm. them. Well, we don't, and when you look at the, the gospel of Luke, you find out he was blindfolded before uh, being beaten. That's a, that's a detail that was left out by Matthew, but that was that was given to us by Luke. That's a corroborating right. witness. Right. And uh, anyways, so for his critical analysis of the gospels, treating them like they were... Um, like witnesses uh, at a crime scene, um, he actually became a believer and has an amazing testimony. I hope yes. we have some time to share some of his stuff. Yes. If not, we'll make sure to leave some links for some of his research. Uh, it really blew me away. Yes, I think he's an excellent source to see You know um, how the process of filling in the gaps of the, all these manuscripts is actual evidence uh, that shows us that these manuscripts are reliable. They're proof. Um, and so... One of the quotes I wanted to share was from Dr. Daniel Wallace, an excellent scholar, right? Excellent. I, I encourage everyone to go look into his stuff. Uh, he's he's just a, a wonderful source for understanding the manuscripts we have and and the evidence for all of them. Um, and he's he's not shy about sharing the truth, you know, about the Bibles we have today. Uh, so it's really interesting to hear his position on things. But one of his uh, quotes that I, I got gathered from the research we did. Uh, was the task of filling the gaps without manuscript testimony is absolutely necessary for most of Greco-Roman literature and is almost entirely unknown for the New Testament. Mm. And he's the he's the one of the leading experts on manuscripts. Literally, his job is to go find manuscripts, take pictures of them, and study them. Wow. And he he says that the fill, the process of filling in the gaps is almost entirely unknown, which means most of the errors that we see, most of the variants that we're like not sure about are so so small and minuscule. They don't take away from the narrative. Put simply, the New Testament is far and away the best attested work of the ancient world. And precisely because we have hundreds of thousands of variants and hundreds of early manuscripts, we're in an excellent position for recovering the wording of the original. To speak about the number of variants without also speaking about the number of manuscripts is an irresponsible appeal to sensationalism. Now we get to the second section, the nature of the variants. What kinds of variants are there in the manuscripts? Well, more than 99% make virtually no difference at all. For example, the most common variant involves spelling. And uh, this is... Sorry about that. The entire story is still preserved. It's still there. I would believe it is the word of Elohim. It is the truth, right? Uh, another person that I would uh, recommend everybody uh, searching out is Lee Strobel, uh, an atheist turned Christian who's an author and former investigative journalist. So similar to James, Critical thinker. Yeah, similar to James uh, Wallace. Uh, he was a legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. 
um, who after investigating deeply questioned the validity of the gospels as well as the credibility of the Bible and came to the conclusion that Yeshua is the Messiah, the son of Yah as laid out in the scriptures. And I think he would, he would definitely say that the variations and all the manuscripts that we have, uh, all the, the differing little facts here and there, even the little nuances that might be different are actual proof that there's humans behind this right. writing it, that it's not just, you know, some person behind a desk writing all this out as a, you're just making thousands of copies. You know, it's, it, it's not, it's not coming from one source. Right. This is coming from many different kinds of people. And so I, I think that that shows a lot of evidence right there. I do too. Can you help me prove the existence of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Beyond any reasonable doubt. How so? Historian Gary Habermas lists 39 ancient sources for Jesus, from which he enumerates more than 100 reported facts about his life, teachings, crucifixion, and resurrection. In fact, the historical evidence for Jesus' execution is so strong that one of the most famous New Testament scholars in the world, Gerd Ludemann of Germany, said Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. And Gerd Ludemann is an atheist. As the agnostic historian Bart Ehrman says, Jesus did exist, whether we like it or not. I put it this way. Denying the existence of Jesus doesn't make him go away. It merely proves that no amount of evidence will convince you. No amount of evidence will convince those who have thrown out this um, thousands of manuscripts that we have. It's, he's saying that if you really can't acknowledge that this is, this is factual, reliable, historical evidence for the gospel accounts, then there's nothing that will convince you True. because this is, this is convincing even some of the harshest critics out there. Which, speaking of which, um, there's some pretty famous atheists and agnostics that will, even though they don't believe, um, they they will admit that that he was a historical figure, that he actually did live, yes. and that these are records of his life. And now they may not believe, they may not agree with his message or whatever. That's beside the point. But uh, is it Bart Ehrman? Bart Ehrman, I would I would take what he says with a grain of salt because you know um, he definitely comes from an agnostic perspective. But as someone who was a historian you know, and still is a historian, uh, and someone who deeply, deeply studied the scriptures. Um, I mean, he got his, his, uh, degree from Princeton seminary, you know, master's degree, um, and was literally working alongside Bruce Metzger, the top manuscript evidence, you know, expert out there. Uh, Bart Ehrman shares with the world very openly and even has proved to atheists that Yeshua was a real person, a historical figure. He was not just some concoction. Not fictional at all. And uh, so that's uh, a big thing to say. Also, I think uh, another one looking at Gerd Luderman, is that mm -hmm. right, and from Germany? Yeah. Uh, he says that the facts of how, uh, he, he's not a believer, but the facts of, of, of the historical account is indisputable, I yeah. believe is his words. Yes. Yeah. I, I think uh, there's many actual uh, critics out there um, whether atheist, whether agnostic, whether, you know, people who just are just searching out this stuff for themselves will say that these manuscripts that we have are reliable. Reliable. And right. they're historical. 
And so that's a that's a big statement to come from people who may not see how the scriptures are the word of Elohim and that we have a creator, that we have a savior. You know, I, I it's it's hard for me to see how they could come to that conclusion. Uh, and I've heard the arguments, right. <laughs> but was, I've watched many debates with Bart Ehrman. Uh, but you know, um, it's it's comes up empty most of the time. But still, they are at least honest with saying, guys, you can't ignore the evidence. Right. So I think that's a pretty big statement to say. One thing on on being able to trust this uh, as as a uh, as a fact, as far as these things happened, um, one thing that really struck, struck with me is a couple, well, a couple of things. Number one, we know that Yah says that everything is established by two or three witnesses. Well, He's given us four in the Gospels, right? But not only that, the the, uh, the Messiah's disciples th- themselves, you know, if this was just some big concocted story, uh, I think all of us, if we can just reason with each other for just a moment, that. They all they all went to their brutal deaths, you know, professing uh, who he was and that he that Messiah rose from the dead, that the resurrection, uh, which was absurd to most people. They went to their their deaths, yes, and never recanted their story ever. Right, and you, I think you and I both know, and anyone listening, um, that it's the soon as as soon as like one person died or 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 got martyred the, it, the story would fall apart in a second if they were just making it all up or yeah. if they just had some random hallucination they 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 saw what they saw and they right. proclaimed it and they went to their deaths and never recanted their story to me that's huge it's big and we actually have historical accounts outside of scripture that prove that yeah. that we we see people writing about the disciples and that they went to their death believing in something that to them was crazy, but to them was absolute certainty, truth. Um, and so some of those historical records are like Flavius Josephus, uh, a Jewish historian. So that's an interesting point there. He was non-Christian. Right. And yet he wrote about Yeshua right. and the life that he had and he the lived, disciples he had. He lived 80, 37 to 100. So right there. Literally. During, he was there. Yes, he had to have been. I mean, so the, the dates of Yeshua's life, death, burial, resurrection is somewhat debated as to exactly when. Right. But still, I mean, eighty thirty seven. if he was born right then, that's like either right during the Messiah's uh, teaching and, you know, or death, burial, resurrection is right around that time, you right, know. Yeah. Um, it's definitely right around the time of when Yeshua would have been telling his disciples to go out, make disciples of all nations, right? Well, uh, and then so he lived till 8100, which would say that he was around during the time of Paul and the disciples teaching in the literal widespread of this, uh, of the New Testament or or of the accounts of Yeshua, right? Flavius Josephus uh, wrote a history of Judaism in about the year 93, uh, the famous antiquities of the Jews. This is very quoted historical source that we have. Uh, and in his writings, he mentions a number of figures from the New Testament, including Yeshua, John the Baptist, right. you know, uh, and Yeshua's brother James. Right. So those are, I mean, significant characters in the New Testament. And he's mentioning them as being those, you know, those people who were right there alongside the ministry of Yeshua. Um, and we know that's what's also interesting is that James uh, did not accept Yeshua at first. Until afterwards, right. Until afterwards. And so the fact that he's quoting him, and I, if I remember correctly, he did he quoted him in saying that even though James did not accept him at first, he was there promoting Yeshua. Right. So I think that's a that's a big deal. Well, then we see Tacitus, uh, who came just shortly after Josephus, uh, who is a Roman historian, um, 
And he confirms that the crucifixion of Yeshua really took place. Uh, and he wrote in his annals uh, the records of the death of Yeshua at the hand of Pontius Pilate. He distinguishes between confirmed and hearsay in his historical mm. accounts, making him a much much more trustworthy source. And the fact that he's able to say, well, some people say that, and I, you know, but he's looking into it and saying, but this is the, you know, this is what I see. And so I, I feel like that's uh, someone that, you know, if we're going to look at his accounts, even though he may be against Yeshua, he's at least showing that, well, you know, maybe the Jews want to cover this up, but mm-hmm. he, you know, he was an actual figure. Yeshua right. was an actual person. Um, and he was actually crucified by, uh, by the hands of Pontius Pilate. We see another Pliny the Younger uh, who came after Tacitus, uh, a a Roman governor in Asia Minor, uh, established that early Christians worshipped Yeshua as Elohim. So there was, you know, early Christians that were going around. And this is written by a Roman historian. And if I remember correctly, Pliny the Younger really promoted the uh, killing, mass murdering of Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he... If if Rome, for some reason, was trying to cover this up, you know, cover up the whole Yeshua story or make it up and trying to convey with the Jews, maybe, you know, that this was a, a cover up. This wasn't real. This wasn't true. Maybe, you know, maybe the Jews wanted to pay the Roman people to cover the story up somehow. They're doing a really bad job. Furthermore, you know, some people have recently said that Rome even concocted the whole story. And That's what I'm getting at right cre- there, Okay, right? yeah. And the fact that they, they, the fact that people think that or say that, I mean, the historical evidence would say otherwise. Don't you think Rome would write about their governors and officers in a much uh, more positive light? Po- yeah. Instead of like seeming to be like kind of weak? You know, I actually have a point on that and I would like to, I'd like to go a little deeper on that. Sure. So the fact that in the gospels, there is a distinguishing, uh, or just sorry, a discouraging view of the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, priests, and even the Roman courts, right? Uh, proves that these documents should have not been popular as in the manuscripts, of the new Testament, they shouldn't have been popular. Right. Um, and, and to the fact that they discourage people from following men like the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, uh, and uh, it kind of puts the Romans in kind of a weak view, right? You know, um, Pontius Pilate not sure of knowing what to do. Herod kind of being like laughing at Yeshua. And, I don't you know, know what to do with him. I don't know what to do with him. I'll send him to Pontius. It kind of makes him look weak. Right. Like they can't get it, anything out of him. If they concocted that story, uh, I think they would have had their stuff together a little better. I, I think so too. I think so too. And I think they probably would have made it look like the strength of Rome, like <laughs> as all the other documents uh, right. perceive them as. So they really, these documents really show embarrassing moments for these people, uh, you know, and, um, and we also see in the, in the scriptures, Yeshua calling out the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees for their hypocrisy. Uh, and so if the Jews didn't want this to get widespread, you know, uh, they probably, you know, or maybe they wanted to cover it up. Why would they put that in there? You know, um, or why would that be even covered in this? Uh, I've heard that that argument that it was just it's just a false story created to to, to pursue que- people to quell to, quell, to yeah. quell the 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 Jews from further revolts, right? To, and, to give them some pacifist Messiah to quell to quell the, the revolts, and yeah. that that doesn't add up it if doesn't. you're looking at the 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 text that's actually written there. Um, so this would prove that the gospel accounts would not have been a popular thing. Uh, but it was, it was spread 
all over the place, all over the everywhere. world. Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, everywhere. Uh, you know, the, there were many converts due to the manuscripts that were spread, uh, in, in, as well as, you know, what Peter and Paul, John, and James are writing about. You know, like these, these, were, these were widespread. Right. I don't know how, how we could say it was written by one source comparing all the, the copies and comparing all the, the variations. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So to me, the fact that there is such a argument out there uh, doesn't quite add up to me, but mm-hmm. um, I think people are going to try to find a way to, to refute this in any way they can. They'll, they'll try to throw out these things, you yeah. know. Uh, and you know, it's interesting to me, I would think that if the Jews really didn't want Yeshua to be, you know, out there or to be known, you know, then they probably wouldn't have acknowledged him as a person or a historical being. They probably would have just made, oh, he wasn't real. Right. Which, which brings us to number four. Uh, he, he was, his name was preserved in the Jewish rabbinic literature uh, known as the the Talmud. Uh, the Talmud, if you're not familiar, is the central document uh, regarding Jewish law and, and interpretations. Um, I'm very familiar with this. I actually grew up Jewish, as, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, later, uh, later, of course, uh, found <laughs> the truth in Messiah. Um, but in the Talmud, which is the, the Jews' uh, main source of, of theology and, and thought, um, Messiah is actually mentioned uh, several times in here. Uh, they mention him, you know, in a not in a good light. They mention mm-hmm. him uh, burning in hell, uh, and the reason for it, it says, because he defied the sages, mm. and which actually corroborates the story of the Gospels. Right, um, that's a fact. It corroborates the story that because in the Gospels, uh, a big part of Messiah's te- uh, testimony, a big part of his teaching was to rebuke the man-made traditions because uh, what the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time had done is they had taken the laws that the Most High gave them and added all these extra laws on top of it uh, and sometimes even just skirted around the laws mm. of the Most High and kind of made their own. And so very often we saw Messiah rebuking them. And so it's interesting that in their a rabbinical source in their 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 text. Um, that's exactly what they say. They say he it's uh, they say he was he defied the sages and because of that he's uh, burning in hell eternally. Um, anyways, there's other mentions of him as well. Uh, they said that he was a, a magician, a sorcerer, all sorts of things, which is exactly what they accused him of. Um, you know, to 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 quote loosely here, uh, paraphrase. Uh, they accused Messiah of being a. a um, of Beelzebub, one of the devils, and that's the only way he was able to cast out these demons out of people was because uh, he was, you know, working for for these demons. So it's interesting that they've preserved that inadvertently in their text, right? Which he is exists. in scripture. It's right. in it's in the New Testament. If he never existed, and 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 the things that are written in the New Testament never happened, they would have never wrote about him, right? They would have just said there's some legend about so and so that he never existed, right? But they don't say that. Nope. They they confirmed that he existed and the things that he said and did. Yeah, and I I think that should say to a lot of people out there who may have uh, been on the line with you know Judaism or you know kind of not sure if that's the right way to go. You know, consider that the fact that it's been written in the Jewish texts that Yeshua was a real person, that he did real ministry, and yeah, they definitely disagreed with what he was saying, but that's exactly what was written in Scripture as well. They disagreed with what he was saying. Right. Um, and so that that leads us to our last uh, last historical figure that we have here, which there's a 
quite a bit out there. We have, there's many sources out there, uh, historical figures who write about these documents, uh, who write about, or sorry, write about Yeshua uh, and his disciples. But we we just have like five sources here uh, that we just wanted to briefly go over. But you know, search it out. I would say search mm-hmm. search this, all this out because there is so much evidence for the Gospels, so much evidence for the New Testament. Um, uh, another person would be uh, this satirist uh, Lucian, uh, who came after uh, Pliny the Younger, um, and he was a pagan author. Uh, and while ridiculing the Christians, yet he still acknowledged the existence of Yeshua. And that's another, once again, another source uh, of, of historical source that shows us that these people at least acknowledge that Yeshua is a real person. Um, so I think we could do a little bit of deductive reasoning here, right? So we, we can see that all these people wrote about these, these figures, and now they're writing from the perspectives of their religion, right? Rome uh, and its strength and its might and dignity and honor and power, right? They're like, well, these Christians, they don't know what they're doing, right? And then Jewish people just hate Yeshua, so they're like, you know, the Jews wanted to cover, they wanted to make him look like a evil person, right? That, that the miracles that he did are just not true. Um, and, but we can at least pull from these sources and say they all accepted that he was a real person. So that's, I think we could just, just think through that a little more, right? That, that, that shows something there. Um, we also see that the Caesars that were mentioned in the Bible, all we have found coins with their faces inscribed yes. on the coins, archaeological evidence. So this, this is archaeological finds. These are real people. Yeah. That they're real Caesars that were there during that, during, they were, uh, the proposed times in the documents in the gospels matches up perfectly with when we find the, like the, how, where the coins are coming from and what mm-hmm. dates they were found in. So it's like, these are, uh, these are archeological finds that prove that, you know, Yeshua is who he is. Um, and there's also even more archeological evidence that I didn't get time to go into, but, uh, there's even more that proves Yeshua did his ministry where he said he did his ministry or where the gospel writers said he did. We'll make sure to leave links so that you can search out all these things that were mentioned. Like I said, at the beginning, we're kind of briefly covering a lot of these topics and we'll leave you, um, the trail of evidence that you can search it out yourself. Yeah. The little breadcrumbs. That's right. So another point I really just briefly wanted to, to make is that there's the, this claim that, you know, Yeshua's life, death, burial, resurrection is just a mirror image of all the other pagan gods. And so it, so quote unquote, discredits Yeshua's uh, teachings, writings, all that. Um, well, that idea was popularized by a movie called Zeitgeist. Mm. Uh, I do not recommend. <laughs> um, and uh, it just says that, you know, Yeshua's birth, death, burial, resurrection were just mirrors of these pagan deities. Uh, the assumptions made in this movie are without any historical evidence. I mean, like not one historical evidence proves their points. With lots of twisting and lots of actual just misinformation. It's straight up fabricated. Yeah. Uh, and they don't even come close to the actual story of these pagan gods. Um, so if they're trying to make mention of how it mirrors Yeshua, they would at least try to get the pagan gods' lives right. Mm-hmm. You know, because they don't trust the historical documents that are over 5,800 of the manuscripts that we have of Yeshua, uh, just in the Greek, but they'll look at the historical documents that are very few and far between for these pagan deities, and they still got it wrong. And they still didn't actually look into the historical evidence. Uh, And just to say, you know, this just because something similar happened 
to people and other people in antiquity, these other pagan deities, does not dismiss the facts of the resurrection of Yeshua. Uh, the other pagan gods have no credible evidence uh, for their existence, like like the New Testament does, right. you know, uh, and the accounts of the resurrection. We just we just don't see the same amount of evidence uh, at all. Uh, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, right? Uh, kind of did a little bit of this where they kind of combined, like Constantine, you know, came in and he combined the, you know, Mithraism and, and Christianity to try and gain both people, right? right? And uh, it's really, I mean, it was successful at the time, uh, unfortunately, but it's, it's, it's sad because then you get, you lose more of the truth. Right. You lose more and more of the truth. And so if you're trying to compare Christianity or Yeshua, following Yeshua, to what these other deities are, you're going to lose sight of what the documents say, of what the manuscripts show us, what it truly shows us to be like, how it truly shows us to walk, uh, and what we're what we're supposed to be doing. And, and thankfully, you know, the people of Yah that that trust in His Word got this uh, foreshadow. This was going to happen. Daniel seven twenty five prophesied that the fourth beast, the fourth kingdom, which is Rome, that would be ruling until the end, uh, said that. Um, that they will change times and laws, and they shall be giving it into his hand, and that's exactly what they did. They changed the calendar mm-hmm. into their uh, into their solar calendar, uh, and they've changed the laws. So like uh, we mentioned, Constantine, he changed the uh, the seventh day Sabbath to the first day of the week, Sunday, and that's still perpetuated today in, in, yep. in mainstream Christianity. Uh, as you mentioned, they took pagan festivals and and kind of just slapped really just a, a Christian label over it. And that's right. why, and what they've done is they've created a very easy straw man argument mm-hmm. because it's very easy to, to what his exact birth is, we don't know, but we know it wasn't December 25th. And so that's why when movies like this, they they attack the easy straw man argument of the, the false, he was born on December 25th, you know, which is right around the solstice, which some of these pagan gods were um, a lot of their quote unquote birth during right, that time <laughs> birth right and speaking of which you know speaking of, of uh, zeitgeist um, you know, like one of the pagan deities they mentioned also had a virgin birth well when you actually research it it said they were just born out of a rock you know right. it came forth out of a rock and I'm like how is that a virgin birth you, and so you don't get just that. outright lies yep. through this that have been uh, perpetuated yeah and there's even a, a scholar of Hinduism who, you know, saw the claims of Zeitgeist and was appalled that, you know, in regards to Krishna being somewhat similar to Christ, Yeshua, it's like, she was like, that's not, that's not right at all. This, the facts aren't even there. So, uh, to me, we, we see that this movie is very easily disproven, um, in its claims. And so, uh, and that's, that's something that people really latched onto and denied Yeshua as their Messiah because of these claims. And so we really need to to work in our hearts at searching these things out, looking into the evidence. It, it, you know, we're living in a time where we're actually able to go uh, onto computers, laptops, and find this evidence so quickly. Uh, And so it should be even easier for us to disprove any claims that are out there, uh, in, re- in regards to disproving Yeshua. Right? There's a lot of so, spiritual apathy out there. People mm. are just happy with what is hand-fed to them. Yeah. But we know that the scriptures say in Proverbs, I think it's 25-2, it's the glory of Elohim. Elohim is the Hebrew word for God. It's the glory of Elohim to conceal a thing. 
and it's the honor of kings to search, search out, out the matter. And right. so that's what we feel like we're doing here, and we're thankful that you're with us, and we're hopefully that uh, you also want to have this honor as a king to, to search out these matters. And, we're uh, called to be kings and priests. Yes. And, and to be set apart, holy to Yah, uh, you know, just as the Levitical priests were. Right. And, and I think part of that process is really digging deep in, in, our, in our doubts and our fears and our worries and, and searching these matters out. We really need to, to figure these things out for ourselves. You know, it's, it's part of our process mm-hmm. of, of growing in our faith. Uh, I know just doing the research I did in the apologetics of defending the faith of Yeshua, man, I found so much that just revitalized and even strengthened uh, an even stronger foundation for me and my faith. And so I encourage everyone, just go search it out, you know? Uh, I think this is really why there's so many textual variants out there. You know, I, I honestly think that that's, that's part of the reason, you know, uh, I'm sure there's people out there that are, are thinking, well, if God is such a good God, why wouldn't he just write a, the, his book that he wants us all to read and or, make or billions of copies. Even, even, uh, even more specifically asked, atheists commonly ask, well, if God exists, isn't he strong enough to just preserve his text without any errors, without any variance? You know, what, what would you say to that? I would say that, uh, you know, yes, Elohim is capable of doing anything like that. Uh, but I think he desires a relationship with us. And that requires us to search out the matter. That requires us to have faith, to lean not on our own understanding, but to trust in him. And so if he was just giving us this document perfectly from the sky and every single person had it, it would just be like force feeding truth. Mm. You know, like this is what you're supposed to believe. But that that's not the loving creator we have. We actually have a creator who genuinely wants a relationship with us, who genuinely wants us to seek him out, to search for him. Uh, and that's why we see that proverb, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's can you re- quote it again? Just Proverbs. Hopefully I got it right, but it's, it's some, the glory of Elohim to conceal a thing. Yes. And it's the honor of Kings to search out a matter. I always mix it up in my Something brain. Like so yeah, hopefully th- that's, right. that's that. Uh, I think that is so true. What we, we really need to, uh, to lean on him and trust in him. And sometimes things may not make sense. You know, sometimes you may be looking into this evidence and you're like, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand some of, some of this. Well, faith really requires you to kind of lean on him, to trust in him, because the words that are in here, it, it, you know, I think we can really understand that this is coming from a loving creator right. who genuinely just wants us to love him. And as you said, uh, uh, I think it's Hebrews eleven six. 6, it, it says that um, we must have faith and to, to seek him out diligently. And that's yes. what he wants. He wants us to be prepared. To give an answer. And quite frankly, and, we, and this is a whole other subtopic we don't need to get into, but all it really takes is some, for someone to step outside and look around and look at the majesty of everything he's created and to recognize this is not some haphazard thing that was created through space dust. You know, yeah. this is this is purposeful uh, creation uh, with, with so much depth and, and intelligence and yes. magnificence that if a creator existed, he would reach out to us and, and give us the information we needed to know. Right. And we believe if maybe we can, uh, I think we can maybe finish up this topic. We believe that he has given that to us. Yes. And given it to us through the hands of man. Absolutely. And, you know, there may be some uh, scribal errors here and there, but we believe, like I said, 99%, we believe that the New Testament alongside the Old Testament uh, are uh, trustworthy documents yes. um, that we can... Uh, 
know exactly how the creator is communicating with us and what we need to do mm-hmm. to be with him in eternal life. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I just, you know, want to further that claim by saying, I don't think Yahuwah is a dictator in the sky creating robots. Nope. You know, he's, he's not, he's not wanting that. He's not, obviously he's not showing that, you know, he's, he's wanting us to love him. So I hope it encourages everyone to look out there and to love Which him. is what I really I really love about him. Um, he gives us choice. Yes. To love him, to not love him. So he's he's communicated to us through um, the, the Torah, the law, the prophets, the writings, and you know, the the Brit Hadashah, the, the the New Testament or New Covenant, however you want to call it. And it's up to us to accept it or not. That's mm. the freedom he gives us. Um, bees, they do what they do. They don't have an option. You right. know? <laughs> uh, coyotes, they do what they do. And, you know, for some of you farmers out there, I don't, unfortunate. Um, but, you know, humans, he's given us the option. And I, I find it beautiful mm. that, like you said, he he doesn't force us to. Right. And we all have the option. And, and, and through his word, he's communicated that if we believe in him and we believe in the testimony that he's given his son, um, and, and if we follow him, which, you know, we'll talk about more and this might be a couple part series. Uh, we mentioned some of that, like, you know, as far as the, the, the Sabbath and, and, uh, different things, but if we follow him and we believe that we, you know, we believe that there is eternal life yes. and that's available, uh, freely to all of us. Yes. And so he gives us a choice. So very thankful for him. You, you mentioned that there was, uh, <clears throat> we see, you know, how he showed himself and his plan for salvation, things like that within the Tanakh, you know, the Old Testament. Well, what, what do you mean by that? How, can you show me like what you're talking about, the evidence for Yeshua within the Tanakh, within the Old Testament? I mean, all you got to do, you don't have to look far. You just go to the first word. The mm. first word in, uh, in our Bibles, in the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew word is Bereshit, which means in the beginning. And uh, if you're not familiar, in the Hebrew alphabet, each letter... Uh, tells a story. And when you look at a Hebrew word, you can break down each letter in that word mm-hmm. and that that word itself actually tells a story. Yep. Uh, we'd like to share a clip with you uh, of exactly uh, the the uh, amazing intelligence and uh, the love our Father has given us through His Son in the very first word in the Hebrew. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So let's go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. It's important to remember that the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. So let's look at the first word in the Bible in Hebrew. The first word of the Bible in Hebrew is called Bereshit, which means in beginning. Let's take a look at the letters that make up the word Bereshit. The first letter is Beit, which means house or tent. The next letter is resh, which means person, highest person, or head. When you put the letters bet and resh together, you get the word bar, which means sun. As you can see, the first two letters of the Bible show the sun. The next letter we come to in better sheet is the letter aleph, which means leader, strength, God, or first. When you put the letters bet, resh, and aleph together, it spells the word bara, which means to create, or it can also mean son of God. Next, we have the letter sheen, which means to consume, destroy, or teeth. Followed by the letter yod, which means hand, hands, works, or arm. And finally, the letter tav, which means covenant, 
mark, sign, or cross. Son of God will be destroyed with his hands on a cross. Uh, but going further, if we look at like Genesis 1.1, or even just the first chapter, Genesis, we see the word Elohim, as we mentioned, is the Hebrew word for, for God. But when you look at the word Elohim, uh, it's actually plural. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, Jews to this day um, you know, uh, reject him because uh, he is Messiah. His testimony is he's talking about a father that no one's ever seen or heard from, uh, and that he is the mouthpiece. He is the, the spokesperson for Yah, and that he is an eternal being. And so now it's like, you know, wait a minute, is there, is there one, is there two? And so uh, for Jews that look at like Deuteronomy 6, where it says uh, Elohim is one, echad, uh, that becomes a problem for them. But let's, let's back up. So the word Elohim is used multiple times in the first chapter, um, and it says... Uh, uh, and Elohim said, let us make man in our image, right? And so if we look at the Hebrew there, Elohim is plural. And, we, and it says, let us, the word there in Hebrew, us is plural, make man in our image. That's plural, our is plural. And so we're faced with the question, did our heavenly father look to the angels and say, hey, angels, let's make man in our image. Or the other option, there's only two options. Did he look at his son and say, son, let us make man in our image. And we believe that he looked at his son and said, hey, let's let's do this, which corroborates what John 1.1 1, 1 says, in mm. the beginning was the word, right. and the word was with Elohim. So mm -hmm. it shows a togetherness, yep. and the word was Elohim. We fully believe that Yahusha uh, is Elohim, that he had preexisted with the Father from the beginning. Right. And when we believe... Uh, that the word, the usage of the word Elohim in Genesis one uh, corroborates uh, what we understand, because Moses was very familiar with uh, the singular usage of uh, of Elohim, which is El mm. or Eloha or Elohai. Mm -hmm. He could have used that, but the majority of time, and I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but the majority of time through the Hebrew Tanakh, the word Elohim is used, which uh, is undebatable, is the plural of El. So something is going on here. Right. So going back to Deuteronomy 6.4, it says that uh, Yahuwah is one. The Hebrew word there is achad. So if that means, doesn't that mean it's just one singular thing, like one singular being? If it just mean, if it, it is achad, wouldn't that just mean it's just one? Well, let's take a look at that. Let's, so let's read Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, Hear, O Israel, uh, Yahuwah our Elohim is one. And so let's look at that. Let's, let's look at other usages of that word achad, one. So uh, a lot of people think, well, one, achad means like one person. So let's go to Genesis 2. We're gonna look at 23 through 24 and it says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh, they shall be achad, hmm. right? right? So does that mean that Adam and Eve are now one literal person? No. Did they just mold together? No, obviously not. Right. Uh, I'm not trying to be silly here, but that just shows that they're bonded, they're united, right? Right. There's a bond. And that's what Messiah says in the gospels, I and my father are one, mm. they're achad, they're united. Mm. So let's take a look at Genesis 11:6, And it says, and Yahuwah said, actually, let me pause. Yahuwah is how we understand our Heavenly Father's Hebrew name. We actually agree on that one. Yes. Praise Yah. <laughs> uh, it says, and Yahuwah said, behold, the people is one, and they all have one language, and this is, this they begin to do. So uh, it says the people are one. So does that mean that they're, that you know, the 
thousands or hundreds of thousands of people are one person or are they together? They're united in the same cause. Right. Let's keep going. There's a couple more uh, evidences. Genesis 34, 15 through 16. This is uh, uh, the time of Shechem when Shechem stole uh, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. Anyways, it says, but in this we will consent unto you if you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters unto you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. Hmm. So once again, they're talking about being united as a people, not one singular person. Hmm. Um, another example in a different uh, perspective, Genesis 41, 25, this is the scene with Joseph and Pharaoh and the, when he was interpreting the dreams. Hmm. Uh, verse 25 says, and Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. And so as we know, Pharaoh actually had two dreams and Joseph heard both dreams and rightly understood that both those dreams were together. They, they connected to each other. And so Joseph right. is making the connection that they're one. Does that mean it's one dream or two? It was two dreams, but they were united in its meaning. Interesting. Um, just one more in Exodus twenty six eleven. Uh, and thou shalt make 50 tacks of brass and put the tacks into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. So are all those tacks one or did all those combine together to make one singular thing in the tent? And so mm. my point behind this is um, when in, in the Shema, Deuteronomy, when it says Yahuwah Elohim is one, I don't think he's like pointing out that it's one singular being. I think he's pointing out from what we understand that our heavenly father and the son uh, we're together in creation, and everything was created through them. Right. Why? Why else would he say, "Let us make man in our, our image"? image right. right. And so it's again, you're faced with two decisions: either the father looked at the angels and said, "Let us do these things," or he looked at the son. We believe that he was talking to his son. Furthermore, I just want to point out in John seventeen twenty through twenty three, the whole chapter of uh, of uh, John seventeen is the setting as Messiah with the apostles, and uh, here he's praying to the father with the apostles present. So he's praying to the Father. He says, verse 20, neither pray for I these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Hmm. I in them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and loved me uh, and love them as you have loved me. So is Messiah praying to the Father that like you and I would just like come together as like one person? No, obviously that we would be united in this cause, united mm -hmm. in the gospel, united in uh, walking and seeking out truth. And so um, I think it's imperative that we understand that Elohim is one, uh, again, going back to the word Elohim in Hebrew, meaning plural, uh, we believe that the Father and the Son are united. Uh, let's go to uh, Genesis 22, actually. Uh, well, actually, we'll just talk about it. In Genesis 22, um, you have uh, this, the famous story of where the Most High uh, commands that Abraham offers up Isaac as, as a sacrifice. And so with this, we have to ask ourselves this question. You know, we believe that this is pointing to um, the, the father giving of son because, uh, so I, as we know the story, Abraham and Isaac, they went up to Mount Moriah and they were, he, Abraham was getting ready to do it and he was stopped. Elohim stopped him and said, no, right? He himself would provide. And so we know that Abraham didn't have to go through. It was a test, right? right. But, but my question is, without the story as we know it now, the father 
giving of his son, right? Cause he, he stayed Abraham's head cause hand, because he's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going right. to offer my son. What, what is the significance and what is the, what is the, what does that story look like without the gospel understanding that Elohim gave of his son? I can't, I can't uh, envision any other purpose or meaning behind it. I mean, we see, you know, uh, Yahuwah replicating, showing certain signs of what is to come through physical things, right? Like, for instance, Hosea and Gomer, right? So Hosea was, Yahuwah told him to go marry a, a prostitute. But why did, he, why did he do that? Well, there's a reason. It was a physical thing to represent a spiritual thing that was going on, right? right? So the physical thing was he married this prostitute uh, and whom he loved, right, to take care of her. But she went out and whored against him. Mm-hmm. That was to show that Israel went and whored after the other nations right. against Yah. So, so when people say, show me the gospel in the Torah, show me Messiah in the Torah, I would say one of the biggest glaring facts we have is Genesis 22, when the Most High uh, commands Abraham to offer up his son. I believe that was a, uh, a foreshadowing of what yeah. he's going to do. In Amos, he says, uh, the Most High says he does nothing without revealing it through his prophets. Right. Moses, one of the greatest prophets, right? He 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 wrote of all these things and, and showed us Abraham was a prophet, right? right? So he showed us what he was gonna do. He showed us the gospel uh, as early as Genesis 22. Furthermore, um, I think it's is interesting to note, it, specifically the Most High commanded him to go up to Mount Moriah. Hmm. Mount Moriah, uh, we find out later in, uh, second, I think it's 2 Samuel 24, that David ends up buying the threshing floor. Uh, I think it's from Arnon, the Jebusite. Anyways, he buys the threshing floor, uh, which is on Mount Moriah. Right? Hmm. So he purchases it. Later on, uh, Solomon ends up building the temple on Mount Moriah, hmm. uh, or right there, right there. And then, of course, as we, we learn later, Messiah ends up being crucified on Mount Moriah. So wow. that, I believe, shows us that those two events are connected. Uh, Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac, and the father literally giving up of his son as an offering, a perfect offering hmm. uh, for us on Mount Moriah. So, wow. So I know there's the feast days in Leviticus, uh, you know, 23. But how does how do the feast days? I've heard that you know the feast days show um, the Messiah through. You know, you can see Messiah through them. Well, how how does that specifically play out? Well, the the, the interesting thing is all the feast days point to Messiah specifically. Mm. Um, you know, Messiah, as we know, was crucified on Passover. He became our Passover lamb. And some people would say, well, uh, is it Passover lamb or Passover man? And good question. Um, but the Most High revealed that his son would be as a lamb being led to the slaughter in Isaiah 53, which we're going to read in a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, also through other witnesses, um, some maybe some less known witnesses, uh, the Testament of the, the 12 patriarchs, which some of those testaments, uh, if you're not familiar um, the, the Testament of the 12 Patriarchs was the last words uh, of the 12 sons of Jacob. Before mm-hmm. they died, they kind of uh, recollected their life, uh, some of the things they struggled with, um, uh, some prophecy. And in the Testament of Benjamin, uh, Jacob actually talks to, uh, Benjamin recollects a conversation between Jacob and his son Joseph that um, uh, the, the Most High would uh, send his son as uh, who was who like a lamb, it would be mm. the offering for mankind. And so mm. it was prophesied that he would be the lamb of Elohim. Right. right. So anyways, uh, so the Messiah was our offering. And 
as we know the story in Passover, the, the Israelites were, were delivered by the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. The, the angel of death passed them by. And by obe- uh, being obedient to that, they didn't suffer any loss. And we know that they were then delivered and sent out of Egypt and then tested in the wilderness. Uh, I, th- I believe that our walk today is very similar. Uh, we're freed from the bondage of sin mm-hmm. by the blood of the lamb. Right. And then we're brought out into the wilderness for testing to see if we're a true seed or not, depending mm. on what soil we are, right? The parable of the sower. Right, which we see we see correlations between Moses wandering through the wilderness himself, right? Going through that himself. And 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 then we see the same correlation with Yeshua right. wandering the wilderness. You know, it's very interesting how many correlations there's, there are. There's but. a ton. There's a ton. So, uh, and then unleavened bread. So we, the, there's seven feast days, if, you are, if you're not familiar. You have uh, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, uh, Shavuot or Pentecost, uh, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Sukkot or uh, Feast of Tabernacles. So we talked about the first one, Passover. The second one is unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, Messiah reveals that mystery uh, through through his testimony, through the gospels, that leaven was likened unto the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which we mentioned earlier were the doctrines of men, which Yah himself uh, and, and his son, Yahushua, were not very happy with those things because like I mentioned earlier, they either just sidestepped the commandments of Yah or just added ones on top of it that made him of no effect. Uh, and so Messiah declared himself to be the bread sent from heaven. He was the bread from heaven uh, that nourishes us, right? That came without any doctrines of man. He said, Messiah himself, he says, my doctrine is not my own, but from my father, which is in heaven. So uh, Messiah is our unleavened bread and he had no sin. I was just about to say that. There was no leaven in him. No sin whatsoever. We, we know that leaven is likened to sin yes. in, in the Bible. And so there's no leaven within him. And so he was perfectly Perfect. the unleavened bread. Perfect. So, so when we celebrate these things, Passover unleavened bread, we're doing, even Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 8 says, let us therefore keep the feast with the unleavened bread, right? The sincerity mm-hmm. of truth. So even Paul is encouraging us to keep these feasts, which all point to Messiah. First fruits, we know that Messiah rose on first fruits mm-hmm. and ascended to his father. Uh, to be an offering. And Paul mentions it, that he is the first fruits mm-hmm. of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Shavuot or Pentecost, we know through uh, the book of Acts that um, it was, I think, 150 days after, mm-hmm. they were given the Holy Spirit and uh, they were given power from on high to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to open the eyes of all the things. Messiah said, these things that I do, you'll be, do even greater. And he gave them power. So he, uh, he, Messiah said that he had to go away for the comforter to come, for our Heavenly Father to give that good gift. And so uh, that, was, um, that was fulfilled. And it's interesting because... Um, Back in the Old Testament time, in Exodus, Exodus 19 through like 24 is the giving of the covenant. Well, during that time, we, it's believed that, that the covenant was given on Shavuot. Mm. That day, 3,000 were killed because of disobedience. Right. right? Uh, what's interesting that on Shavuot, thousands of years later, it said specifically that 3,000 souls were saved that day, right? And so wow. kind of an interesting little little. Yeah, that's there. a super cool cor- uh, correlation. Uh, and so it, it's commonly known and taught that Messiah fulfilled the spring feasts at his first coming and that on his second coming, he'll fulfill um, the last three, the fall feasts, which is uh, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. However, I believe he's fulfilled them in part. And let me just explain. Uh, Feast of Trumpets really is all about the announcement 
uh, the return of Messiah. Uh, it's about the coronating of the king. Um, we know that he he was he was king, even though uh, his kingdom was not of this earth. We know that we've declared him as the king of Israel, right? Uh, but also that his 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 birth was announced by uh, uh, the stars in the heaven, Matthew mm-hmm. two. So it, there was an announcement of his coming. Uh, the Day of Atonement, um, there's actually a lot of parallels in the gospel account of the Day of Atonement. Uh, it's kind of interesting. It, back in Levit- Leviticus 16, it explains the Day of Atonement. There was uh, two goats, uh, and they were both evaluated. One was sent out into the wilderness uh, to be a scapegoat for or for Azazel. Uh, Azazel is, is, uh, is Hasatan. Um, it's a long story. We'll get into that another time. Hmm. But the other one was slaughtered, mm-hmm. and forgiveness was given to all the people by the other, the other one that was selected. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, when when we had the crucifixion scene, you had Messiah Yahusha, and you had Barabbas. If you're not familiar, Barabbas means son of the father. So you had someone who was named son of the father, and you had the actual son of the father. We know Barabbas was released, just like one of the goats was released, and Messiah himself was slain. And mm. so uh, even though it was done on Passover, we know and we believe that his blood is atonement for us. So yeah. in part, he's fulfilled day of atonement. We also know that day of atonement is about judgment day. And we know that when he returns, he is bringing judgment with him. Right. right? And last but not least, Feast of Tabernacles, it's like the wedding feast, right? This is like this, the wedding celebration. Um, and it, and it's, it's Elohim tabernacling with us. And we believe that Messiah is Elohim. Though he came as a man, he's an eternal being. And for a time... He tabernacled with among among Emmanuel, men. right? right? Yeah. yeah, Elohim with us. Uh, and but on his return, he's gonna he's gonna tabernacle with us for a thousand years, and then for ultimately for eternity. So mm, interesting. All these feast days point to him, and so uh, there's a, a growing group of believers who are no longer participating in these uh, these holidays of mixture, mix, mixing paganism and and um, and the Most High. But so there's a group of people that are waking up and celebrating these feast days. We do it together. We've been doing it mm-hmm. together for the last three, four years. Yeah. And <laughs> it's the best time of our it's lives. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I, I am so thankful. I'm glad that I gave up, you know, one or two days in the year for what's like, you know, I don't know how many days in total the feast days are, but there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, in, in, in just the weekly Sabbath, you've yeah. got 52 of those right? per year. Yeah. Plus, all, it's a good portion. It's and a so, good time. Um, just um, good excuses to get together with yeah. with friends, with family. All the new moon celebrations. It's there's great. a lot. It's there's a lot. lot. Yeah. We, we've, we've got, got a, a lot of fun. Times. He's given us. He, they're basically, <laughs> and what they are, they're appointments. Yes. Like, hey, I want to meet with you, and this is the time of the year I want to meet with you. Yeah. And we get to meet with them. And yeah. It's, it's absolutely amazing. So. Yes. Uh, but let's let's stay on topic here. So let's uh, let's take a look at Numbers thirty five twenty five, and uh, this is all about um, the cities of refuge in the Torah. Uh, Yah gave per- provisions for uh, someone who act in, to- in today in today's world we call it manslaughter. It's accidental death. Like mm-hmm. if you're just not paying attention, you're driving and you hit a pedestrian, you kill them. That's manslaughter. You didn't premeditate that. You didn't do it on purpose. It was accidental. Yet you still caused the death of somebody. There should be some consequences, and there are today. Back then, there was no different. Let's read it. Numbers thirty-five twenty-five says, "And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, whither he was fled, and he shall abide in it unto the death of the high priest, which." was anointed with the holy oil. So the manslayer 
uh, his sentence was he would have to stay in one of these uh, six cities of refuge that was scattered through Israel, and he would have to stay in that city. He couldn't leave. If he left, he would be susceptible to being put to death. He had to stay in that city until the death of the high priest. What do you think about that? What do you think that symbolizes? Well, I would say that, you know, Yeshua came and he said, you know, well, he told us, right, that he is the high priest, right? So I think we have a we have a high priest and he did die yep. for our sins. So that's pretty interesting. You know, uh, he, he covered us. So I, is, is that what you would take away from yeah. that? Yeah. So part of the prophecy in, in Isaiah 61, that he would loose the prisoners, right? The, the, the prisoners that are bound. And so uh, I don't know about you, at least my testimony is I was bound by sin. Mm. And he released me from the shackles and the bonds that held me down. So there's a the the, high, the death of the high priest brings a release, is what I'm seeing here. In in general, that's what he did for us. Mm. So again, if people are saying, "Hey, where is he in the Old Testament?" It's right here. Now, mm. if people are looking for uh, just written out, "Hey, uh, I'm going to send my son and he's going to die," you know, it's not like that. But we, as we said earlier, it's the glory of Elohim to conceal a thing, and it's it's the honor of honor kings to, kings to search, search it, it out. out. Right. So. Uh, any case, uh, let's take a look at uh, Deuteronomy 18. And this is an interesting one because, um, well, let's just read it. Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 19, it says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto you. And he's talking about Moses. So he's like, I'm gonna raise up somebody who's gonna be like you, Moses. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken or listen unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require of him. Now the Septuagint's a little more, uh, little more grave consequence. It says, I will take vengeance on him Whoa. who does not listen to this prophet. So interesting. Um, some people are, are saying, well, yeah, I mean, that was Joshua. You know, Moses died and Joshua succeeded him. And Joshua certainly was a prophet, and I, and I, and I certainly don't want to uh, say anything uh, to lessen the importance of what Joshua did. But when I when I say when when he says he'll be like you, Moses, I would be looking for characteristics right. like Moses. So Joshua, is, there, is Joshua, there a prophet that that correlates to him? Well, I think that'd be Messiah, oh. Messiah Yahushua. <laughs> and we're gonna sh we're gonna share yeah. with you a chart of all the different little little individual details, like specifically, like like Moses was born during a time where all these babies were being killed because right. uh, we don't learn about it in the in really in the um, the canon, but in, in in extra biblical writings, we learned that uh, they had learned that a deliverer was going to be born, and so they wanted to root it out. And so that's actually exactly what happened in the gospel accounts. Herod had found out through the the. Um, so Wiseman, <laughs> through the the Magi, the, the Magi, the Wiseman, yeah. um, that uh, the Savior of the world had been born because they they properly read, discerned the, the the heavens, and so Herod wanted to root them out. So there's all these different little things, like uh, obviously Moses performed a miracle uh, in water, obviously through the Father, but Moses was the 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 instrument he used for this miracle. Moses parted the seas. Yahushua walked on the seas, right? Uh, Moshe sent out 12 spies to spell out the land. Messiah sent out 12 emissaries, right? There's all these d little details um, that show us that the life of Messiah was very like uh, Moshe. And um, I'm sure Joshua was humble, but the scriptures don't specifically say that Joshua was the most meek man on the earth. It says in, um, I think it's Numbers 12, that Moses was the most meek mm -hmm. man on the earth. We know through the testimony of Yahushua, he didn't have to say, I'm the most meek man on the earth. 
we know through his actions that he was the most humble and meek man on the earth. These are the kind of likenesses that I would be looking for as a, as a uh, researcher and investigator, you know, which prophet is like him. Now, a lot of the prophets have elements like him, like, you know, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Messiah wept, Jeremiah wept. That's, you know, that, that's a likeness, but Jeremiah didn't have all these bullet points uh, that Messiah does of mm-hmm. mirroring the life of, of Moses. I think you have a chart that you made yeah, of, of comparing all that, yes, right? Yes, yes. So we'll make sure also to leave a link if anyone wants to download that chart so they can have that and, and share it with anyone else. So these are just, uh, th- this list of, of the things that we've shared in the, in the Torah is not exhaustive. There's other things, but uh, we just wanted to, to um, Just in the first five books. Yeah. Uh, so far, we've only covered the first five books, and I, I mean, there's seems to be quite a bit that shows that Yeshua was either, you know, was coming or right. uh, was talked about, you know. I mean, I mean, we I, I don't know if we touched on Genesis 3, but, you know, the the person who was going to crush the head, right? He, he, he said that there was, uh, Satan was going to strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Well, who is he talking to? I don't think he's talking to an angel, right? Yeah. I think he's talking to his son. That, I guess that makes the most sense to me, right? Just me too. And, and continuing to see that that verbiage or, or how we can see the image of Yeshua all throughout the the first five books. And I know we can see it uh, even through um, the continued books, right? Joshua through uh, Malachi. Right, right. So, so yeah, so we're, like I said, we're just mentioning Joshua a minute ago. Let's actually go to Joshua, who, who was a prophet. Uh, let's read uh, Joshua 5, 13 through 15. And this is right after the Passover, by the way. It's interesting. This, was, oh. this is actually just a few days. So this is actually in the midst of unleavened bread. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, cool. <laughs> so check this out. Um, it could even be first fruits for all I know, but it's at least during unleavened bread. It says, um, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but as captain of the army of Yahuwah, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship mm. and said unto him, what says my master unto his servant? And the captain of Yahuwah's army said unto Joshua, loose your shoe from off your foot for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. There's so much to talk about in this passage. Mm. Uh, so first of all, uh, it says there stood a man, so he had the appearance of a man, right? And, um, you know, so Joshua asked, you know, are you for us? And he said, no, but I am come as the captain of the, of the, the lead. Basically, I am come as the leader of Yahuwah's army. So let's pause for a second. You know, if that was Yah himself, wouldn't he just say, hey, I'm Yahuwah, right? I'm Probably. But he said, no, I am the captain of Yahuwah's army, which if we can reason with each other. I would reason to say that's not Yahuwah himself, but this is an exalted leader of his army. Right. Now, and some would say, okay, well, that was Michael, one of, the, one, of the, one of the leading angels. Okay. My question then, is it okay to worship Michael? According to the Torah, we're not supposed to worship angels. Right. Right. At all. Right. Which angels are designated as uh, a type of Elohim. They're an eternal being, right? But we're not to worship angels whatsoever, right? And so my question is, who who was he worshiping? And mm. the we see in the New Testament when um, we see that the the angel told John, no, 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 I am just one of your brothers, right? And so he he was like, no, 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 don't 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 worship me. So who was he worshiping? And why did this entity allow it? Mm. 
Right. I mean, think, think about that for a second. I, I can't see any other resemblance of any other person or any other thing except for Yeshua. Right. So we believe we believe that uh, Yahusha, the son of the Most High, uh, revealed himself to Joshua, and Joshua rightly worshipped, and he wasn't rebuked for it. Mm. And he was even further, after he started worshipping, was told to take off his shoes because the ground he was standing on was holy, because Yahusha himself was right there. That makes me think that maybe in the burning bush with Moshe, that may have been... Yahshua within the burning bush. I believe it was. I believe Messiah has many titles. Uh, we see in Isaiah nine, nine verse six. There's many t- wonderful counselor. Uh, you know, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. So many. Right. And we know that Emmanuel, Elohim with us, God with us. Um, we, we know that he's called the Word of Elohim. Well, one of the other titles that he holds, he is the messenger of Yahuwah, otherwise translated as the angel, angel. of Yahuwah. Huh. And so it, it says in, in Genesis 3 that the angel of Yahuwah was in the bush, and he didn't say, he said, I, I you know, will do all these things. I am, right? I am, cool. I am, right? And so- well, that, would, that would correlate with what Yeshua said then. He was saying before Abraham was, I, I am, am, right? right? So, so he's pointing all the way interesting. to the back. And they're asked, who are you? Tell us plainly, he says, even who I have said from the beginning, which the Hebrew word is Bereshit. Remember, mm. so he's, he's saying, I am exactly who I told you was from the very beginning, from the very first word of your scriptures. You know, it makes me think that if we go back a little further into Genesis, when, you know, we talked about Abraham and Isaac, well, in Abraham's life, there was also a, there's quote unquote three angels or, you know, three beings at least uh, that came up to Abraham and, uh, I, I I think I mean considering the words that the that the main one said right, um, I would say that's probably Yeshua, wouldn't you? I agree. It can't I, be Yahuwah. Completely agree. So I mean, it says that no one's seen his face, right? And no one can see his face and live and live. So well, then Abraham well, he lived. So obviously, it right. <laughs> so did Joshua. Sense. Right. So that that makes sense that it was probably Yeshua. I agree. So yeah, that's that's a that's a really wonderful and, and powerful correlation. And speaking of which, I, I think he spoke to Abraham several times in Genesis 15. If you read it, verse one, it says, "And the word of Yahweh came unto Abraham, saying." Now, some people will say, "Well, that's just the mouthpiece," but no, if that was an angel, um, it wouldn't say. Uh, it wouldn't speak in the, the singular form or, or in the, the I. He says, I, the word of Yahweh came to Abraham and says, I will be your shield and your exceeding great reward. Mm. Right. Mm. Interesting. So, any case, we uh, we can talk quite a bit more about Joshua five, but I I don't think this point can be uh, overlooked. Right. Um, you have a, a, a an eternal being that comes down, is worshipped by Joshua that we know is not Yahuwah himself, is being worshipped by Josh, uh, Joshua and is the captain of Yahuwah's army. Which, since we believe in the New Testament, we know in Revelation nineteen the Messiah is the leader of Yah's army. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah. And so you know. Yahoshua or Joshua uh, called him Adon, which we know is master yes. or Adonai teacher, right? So Adon, yes. uh, much like David did, yeah. right? And and we see that in Psalm in the Psalms yeah, a let, couple of times. So let's read Psalm one ten verse one. It says, "Now in most of your English translations, this is probably how it reads. It probably reads, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool.' But when we look at the Hebrew, it says." Yahuwah said unto my Adon, Yahuwah said unto my master, mm. sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So this is David. And uh, all translations will show that this is a Psalm of David, right? 
Some people say that David's the Messiah, but it can't be. He can't because David himself is prophesying and seeing in the spirit. He's seeing Yahuwah speak to his master, two right. beings. Yeah, that's that's not himself. That's gotta be. Yeah, it can't be him. Right. He's not talking about himself. No, right. And yes, he was anointed, which we know Messiah, anointed one, right? But there was truly something very. Uh, uh, I don't know, hard to explain when it comes to a certain being that was to come. Right. Prophesied many, many times. Genesis 3 is like what we mentioned, right? And other times, how how often this, this idea of a greater anointed one, you know, like Moshe said, a prophet that was to come, right. something bigger than just, you know, he was anointed as a king, right? It's bigger than that. Right. So that, that's that's uh, something I think is important to, to note there because, yeah, David was anointed, but... He wasn't the anointed one, right? right. I mean, even the, even in the prophecies in, in Kings and Chronicles, uh, that one from his seed would rule on his throne forever. He so didn't say you. Is, he didn't yeah. say you yourself will rule forever, but one from your lineage right. will rule forever. Interesting. And so that's the prophecy. Yeah, and I I think it, it also is confirmed in the Gospels when Thomas, you know, who doubted the the that Yeshua was actually there, that he came back to life. He resurrected and and showed himself to the disciples. Remember Thomas, he doubted. Doubted, right? He's like, no, that can't be. Well, then what happened when Yeshua walked, actually just appeared in the room, right? Uh, well, Thomas fell on his knees and putting his hands, remember Yeshua said, put your hands, put mm-hmm. your fingers in my in the holes and the scars in my, my hands and my feet. Thomas fell on his knees and said, my Adon and my Elohim. So he recognized, he, he recognized the same thing that David recognized and saw in the visions that he had, right? Uh, that we and we also see other visions of other things that are that we'll, we'll talk about later. That he was a don, that he was master, and so that's I, I think that's confirmed in in Thomas's uh, testimony uh, when he doubted and saw right. Yeshua. Right. So we got a little ahead of ourselves with the Psalms. Let's back up. <laughs> let's back up to Psalm two. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 2. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahuwah and against his anointed. Two beings here. Hmm. And, it's, and the people say, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. Yahuwah shall have them in derision or confusion. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in, so, in his sore displeasure. And he says here, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill Zion. I will declare the decree. Yahuwah has said unto me, you are my son. This day have I begotten you. Ask of me and I shall give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve Yahuwah with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now listen to this. This is where it gets, this is the last verse, and this is where it gets really interesting and very telling. It says, kiss the sun, Hmm. lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little, Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. This is still talking about the sun. Interesting. So what like what do you do with that? And and I've looked. I this is the Masoretic. Uh I've looked at the Masoretic is what most of your Bibles are translated from. The uh the KJV, the ESV, NIV. Um, NIV. Uh, they're they're translated from the Masoretic, which is roughly from 900 AD. There's an older manuscript known as the Septuagint, 
which is roughly uh, 200 BC, mm -hmm. about 1,100 years older. Uh, and then there's uh, one that's, uh, you know, it, it's hypothesized called the Aramaic that it could have been written during the time of Ezra. Um, that's not concrete. Either way, looking at all three translations, they say the same wow. thing. Wow. And you just you can't just deny that. No. So, you know, it, it, in, in the earlier part of it, you were talking about, you know, uh, his anointed, right? And it almost kind of makes you think, well, is he talking about just David? Because David's the one writing this, right? But then when it goes into the details of the son and that we're to put our trust in him, I, I don't, that can't be David. And also the son... Like I've heard the argument that it could be Israel. Right. That doesn't. But work how, in context you can't here. trust. I don't understand that. You can't, yeah. How do you, do put, you your put your trust, trust in Israel? In Israel, right? Which well, we'll get to later in Isaiah fifty-three. Uh, people would would postulate that Israel saves itself because Israel is. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit. All right, okay. But yeah, it just doesn't make sense in context for this to be Israel. He says, "I have set my king." Right? Not kings. So because we know that you said earlier that we're supposed to be kings and priests, but. He didn't say, I have set my kings and priests upon, I have set my king. And then he says, um, you are my son, this day I've begotten you. And that's how we, we know also Messiah is the only begotten son of Elohim. Mm. All of us are uh, adopted sons and daughters, but there's one that is that came you know solely from Elohim. From right? Interesting. So uh, let's, uh, let's take a look at Psalm 45. We're looking at Psalm 45, six through seven. And it reads, your throne, O Elohim, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, Elohim, your Elohim, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. So here, once again, we see two beings. He's saying, therefore, Elohim, your Elohim. So the greater, which we know we're not ashamed to say, Messiah himself said, the father is greater than I. Right. right? Uh, how that dynamic works exactly, the, the rank and structure and hierarchy, you know, okay. But he himself says the father is greater. So he says, therefore, Elohim, your Elohim. So obviously, greater in power has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. Mm. And I know... Uh, what I don't remember if we touched on Psalm 110. Did we touch on Psalm 110? Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, just the fact that um, he's not talking about just, once again, just not talking about David's anointed, but another higher in rank. Well, correct. Um, and so that's another another one that goes further to say, to show us that it's, this is, there's something bigger here. Right, right. And um, in Matthew 22, so speaking of, I'm glad you went back to Psalm 110. I forgot to get to this when we were at it because that Psalm 110 was, um, Yahweh said unto my master, sit on my right hand. So Messiah, um, he gets challenged and uh, here he'll, we'll, we'll listen in. So Matthew 22, 41 through 46, it says, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Yahushua asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him master saying, Yahuwah said to my master, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him master, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on ask him another question. So he mm. left them speechless because it was like, it was like a mic drop moment. Yeah, really that was. definitely is a mic drop moment. Yeah. Uh, let's take a look at Proverbs 30, verse 4. 
Okay, so let's take a look at Proverbs 30, verse four. It says, who has ascended up to heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? If you can tell. Hmm. Now, some would say, well, Israel is a son, so it's Israel. That doesn't seem like a deep hidden mystery or parable. Especially no. in the in the right context, it, I mean, it's talking about up who, in heaven, right? Who right. can create these things? Who is who is as powerful as this? Okay. Uh, the word, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say the same thing? That's the word. The, I would say that John correctly declares that nothing that was made was made without him. Right. What exactly that looked like? I don't know. Right. All we know is that everything that was made was made through him, and we, right. and we believe that. So if we if we go down a little further into the scriptures, I, I know later uh, we see in Daniel some amazing prophecies, and I, I would love for you to to go more into that. Could you share? Yeah, Daniel seven uh, is extremely clear. Uh, once again, we wanted to we wanted to establish what Elohim meant, plural. Okay, mm-hmm. it's more than one, more than one, but united, as right. we found out. But here in Daniel 7, uh, verse 13 through 14 says, this is Daniel seeing a vision. He's been given a vision. It says, I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days. Now the ancient of days is a term for the most high. He's, hmm. he's the most ancient of days. He's, he's the... He's there's the no father. other who is there, of ancient he's of the days. father, right? right? So it says the son, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom which shall, I'm sorry, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And so this reminds me of the Revelation 5 in the throne room scene where we see the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne and then the lamb, one like, it was like a lamb that was slaughtered that came up to him and grabbed the scroll out of his hand. So once again, you see two separate beings but are united in ruach, united in cause, united in, in every matter for that mm. for that matter, for mm. that fact. Just like a, a, a good marriage is, a husband and wife, they're of one mind. Right. Right? Right. They're, they're of one mind, of one spirit. They're together in everything they do. I, I don't know how you could look at Daniel 7 like that and not see Messiah there. Right. And uh, I, I think there's, there, I'm, I'm sure there's evidence of manuscripts of, of the book of Daniel. I mean, if we have the Septuagint in 200 BC, then the manuscript of Daniel it's was there, there it's wouldn't there. it? It's there. So let's take a look at Revelation 5. I think you've got a song that's yeah. centered around this <laughs> that we might be hearing. Well, it's pretty recent. <laughs> uh, Revelation 5 says, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw beneath the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of Elohim sent out into all the earth. 
And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So this is the lamb. Uh, this is the lamb coming and taking the book out of him who sat on the throne. So you see two beings there. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for Elohim with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our Elohim, mm-hmm. and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy, oh no, I won't I'll, I'll, I'll let you say no. But worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them heard I saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb and to the lamb, so again, two beings, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. Mm. And the elders fell down and worshipped, worshipped, just like Joshua 5. Wow. Such a scene. Such a scene. You know what's interesting is that one of the oldest manuscripts, now the date is still disputed, but one of the oldest Greek New Testament manuscripts we have is of the book of Revelation. What's, so the, what's the dating? The, what's the it's disputed. I, it's disputed. Some say 100-something. but Either way, it's pretty it's early on the very early. Very early. Awesome. So, I mean, that's super close to the original of when, you know, Yehochanan or John would have been writing that. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Sure. And so, what a what a wonderful and beautiful uh, scene that we can look forward to. Hopefully, uh, seeing uh, is just proclaiming, "Worthy is the Lamb," with all of these heavenly beings. Right. Such a cool. And I can't imagine. Uh, being able to see some of these things like Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah saw. You know, I don't think I even if John. I was there, I don't think I'd be able to see it because I just want to be on my face. Right. Ah. <laughs> uh. It's amazing that you know these writers were able to see these visions and and be able to write what they saw. Yes, That's definitely. So, word so speaking of this scene, I want to talk about another. Uh, we'll call it an Old Testament era book. I know it's disputed of uh, to its authenticity, but the Book of Enoch was quoted verbatim by Jude. Uh, it was taught from by Messiah mm-hmm. uh, and also alluded to by uh, Peter in Second Peter. And we talked about these angels that had been bound in chains because they disobeyed Yah. Well, the only place that we get, the only place that we get that is from the book of Enoch. So mm. if Enoch was good enough for Messiah to teach from, uh, for Jude to quote, and for Peter to teach from, uh, it's good enough for me to test and to look into. Right. And in testing it, I have found this book to be true. I know, again, highly dis- not hi- highly disputed among scholars, but the book of Enoch shows us the Father and the Son from the beginning. So again, if people are like, where's the Messiah in the Old Testament? Where's Messiah uh, before the New Testament came around? Let's take a look. Uh, Enoch 46, starting at verse one, it says, this is Enoch, he's given a vision of heaven and, and he goes through heaven, through hell, you know, through everything. She, he's being shown everything. And there I saw one who had a head of days, ancient of days, right? And his head was white like wool. And with him was another being whose countenance had the appearance of a man. Remember, like in Daniel, we saw one like unto a son of man. Mm. Anyways, with him was another being whose countenance had the appearance of a man, and his face was full of graciousness 
like one of the holy angels. And I asked the angel who went with me and showed me all the hidden things concerning that son of man, same term as Daniel 7, who he was and whence he was and why he went with the head of days or ancient of days. And he answered and said unto me, this is the son of man who has righteousness with whom dwells righteousness and who reveals all the treasures of that which is hidden. Because Yahweh Sebaot has chosen him, and whose lot has preeminence before Yahweh Sebaot. That's if you're not familiar with that term, that's commonly translated as the Lord of hosts, in uprightness forever. And this son of man whom you have seen shall raise up the kings and the mighty from their seats and the strong from their thrones and shall loosen the reins of the strong and break the teeth of the sinners. And he shall put down the kings from their thrones and their kingdoms because they do not extol and praise him nor humbly acknowledge whence the kingdom was bestowed upon them. This reminds me of, we're gonna read a little bit in Zechariah about uh, the, the nation's mourning over them over him who he had pierced, right? Mm. Anyways, there's a little more there, but I want to jump to uh, Enoch 48. So just two chapters later, Enoch 48, uh, we get a little more details as well. Again, this is Enoch being shown heaven. Enoch 48.1, and in that place, I saw the fountain of righteousness, which was inexhaustible. And around it were many fountains of wisdom and all the thirsty drank of them and were filled with wisdom and their dwellings were with the righteous and the holy and the, and the elect. And at that hour, that son of man was named in the presence of Yahweh Sabaoth and his name before the head or the ancient of days. Yes, before the sun and the signs were created, before the stars of heaven were made, his name was named before Yahweh Sabaoth. Mm. Listen to this. This is an allusion to the gospel. He shall be a staff to the righteous, whereon to stay themselves and not fall. Remember, he's like, all you weary who are- uh, Come to me. Come yeah. to me and rest, right? And he shall be a light to the nations and a hope of those who are troubled of heart. All who dwell on earth shall fall down and worship before him like Joshua did and will praise and bless and celebrate with song Yahweh Sabaoth. And for this reason has he been chosen and hidden before him. Yah chose to hide him before the creation of the world and forevermore. And that's what we're talking about. Um, you know, it was the glory of Yah to sort of conceal this dynamic of the father and the son but it's the honor of kings to search it out. And he's given this to us through his writings. And some of these are extra biblical writings so that he's given us this uh, wisdom and understanding. So it says, before the creation of the world and forevermore, and the wisdom of Yahweh Sabaoth has revealed him to the holy and righteous. Messiah says, no one can come unto, the, uh, unto me unless the father first draw him. Mm. So it says here, Yahweh Sabaoth has revealed him to the holy and righteous. Interesting. For he has preserved a lot of the righteous because they have hated and despised this world of unrighteousness and have hated all its works and its ways in the name of Yahweh Sabaoth, which I have to say speaks to my testimony. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it a little later, but it wasn't until learning how wicked and evil this world was that I, I started waking up and hating it. And I'm like, well, if evil exists, then good truly has to exist. And I found it in his word. Mm. It says, for in his name, they are saved. And according to his good pleasure, has it been in regard to their life? And it keeps on going. But anyways, uh, I just wanted to share uh, this ancient document, which was found in the, uh, Enoch was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which the Dead Sea Scrolls collection uh, is at least second century BC. So mm -hmm. I believe this was written in the time of Enoch, which was pre-flood. And I believe it was preserved through Noah and, and Abraham and, and the rest of the patriarchs. Uh, however, at minimum, 
the textual evidence that we have is at minimum second century BC, which is roughly 200 years before Messiah. Wow. And so it spoke of him before he came. So that's actually, for those of you who have studied manuscript evidence, it's actually pretty good evidence. And uh, I'm uh, interested to actually hear some of the scholars' perspective on that because that's that's really close in dating. Yeah. So, so what some stuff. of the scholars say reminds me of what they say about like um, the book of Second Esdras. Uh, if you're not familiar, Second Esdras uh, was included in the Apocrypha of the 1611 KJV and some other canons. I think the Slavic uh, canon and a few others, but uh, it was it was in our Bibles mm -hmm. until. Uh, the mid 1800s. So the people that came to this country and and, and built up this country, that they, they had Second Ezra in their Bibles. Anyways, w reading scholars' comments about it, they're saying that the description of uh, the the papacy through the vision of um, the eagle and its feathers was that they said it was so precise about the timing of of the papacy and and the things they do. They said it, that it had to have been written after because of the prophecy was so <laughs> pre precise. And I would say, hey, where's your faith? Yeah, uh, right? that just shows the precision of our heavenly Father yeah. showing you all these things were going to happen wow. before they happened. And so, just like Daniel was revealed, the head of gold, breastplate, you know, of the bronze and the the silver waist and all that stuff was was prophesied and it was exactly to the T of what yeah. these the nations did. The timing of it, everything was very precise. The Babylonian kingdom, uh, the the Medo-Persian kingdom, right? Greco, uh, Greece, Greece, and then and Rome, Rome, right? And, and that's interesting, you know, how, how it was very precise there too. They didn't throw that out, but when it comes to second edge, just being so precise, they throw it out. That's right. interesting. Oh, right, just because, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, it's not in their 66 book canon, so. right. Any case, um, so with that, uh, you know, speaking of Daniel, let's go back to Daniel. Let's go to Daniel nine, and this is a really interesting prophecy. Um, this is a prophecy that I really would love to spend an hour just talking mm -hmm. about this. But as we mentioned from the beginning, we're going to be just kind of lightly touching on a lot of these subjects, uh, giving you uh, the the references and links or, or or articles or videos to search this further out for yourself. But let's read Daniel nine twenty four through twenty seven. It says seventy weeks are determined upon your people and upon your holy city. So this is talking about people of Israel, holy city, Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, which is lawlessness, and to bring in an everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. There's a lot going on right there, which I think we could sit here and break down and we can prove to you that Messiah accomplished these things, but let's keep moving. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. So here he is. You're like, where's Messiah in the Old Testament? Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So that's 69 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall evil in, even in troublous times. And this is something you've been reading recently in the book mm. of Nehemiah. You know, trouble mm -hmm. building, you know, we know that they were building in troublous times. Right. Right? They had a tool in one hand and what did they have on the other? The weapon, right? right? They were building and they had a weapon on them at all times. Right. And they had enemies coming against them left and right trying to attack them. So that's right. interesting. So um, there, there's there's obviously debate as, as as there has been. There's there's always different interpretations, but uh, it says here 69 weeks uh, from the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So three, three score and two is 62 and then seven. So 62 plus seven is 69. So if um, when we look at Leviticus 25, 
8 through 12, we look at the Jubilee years and we see that there's weeks of years, mm-hmm. right? So the, these, these weeks are actually seven-year periods of time. And so if we take the 69 weeks times seven, we come up with 483. Well, don't, don't you just know that from the time roughly of, of the commandment from Artaxerxes, so some people debate whether, whether the commandment to rebuild, was it Cyrus, was it Artaxerxes? But if you actually, because um, Cyrus first initially declared it, but there was just a, t- a lull. There was a time where nothing was happening. Right. And that's where Nehemiah was weeping because he's like, you know, the walls are still broken down. Nothing's being happening. Yeah. And that's when he asked, hey, I, I want to go build the city. Right. So from the time that Artaxerxes commanded to be built, from that time, roughly 483 years from that time brings us to the time of Messiah. Now, again, uh, all the different nuances of exactly what year was it, uh, we, we don't have time to get into that, but it it roughly points to around the time, 20, uh, 29 uh, AD, roughly wow. the time of Messiah from the commandment of Artaxerxes to build. It says will come Messiah the Prince. And guess what? He came right on time. Let's keep reading. 26, it says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. You look at that word, that means to be killed, right? Mm. There's another word for killing, but it means to literally be cut off. But not for himself, and we'll learn more about that in Isaiah 53. Mm -hmm. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. So basically he's saying that um, when he comes, he's gonna be killed, but not because of himself, not for anything, right? He's, he's gonna be, as we know, he was killed for the people as a sacrifice. And then it says the sanctuary in the city is gonna be destroyed, 70 AD. And that's exactly what wow. happened. Right? Yeah, he was, the, he was the, the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected. Right, I'm pretty sure it's a psalm, but the, is, the chief cornerstone that the builders, you know, the builders rejected. Yeah, and and later we see that that's Peter uses that to show everyone this is this is Yeshua that he is the chief cornerstone. Right. So that's wow. I'm I'm just uh, thinking of so many correlations there. Right. Just within this passage of Daniel nine, there is, and it, it keeps on going in verse twenty seven, and he shall confirm the covenant with many. Uh, the word confirm there is actually to strengthen to reaffirm, and that's what Messiah came to do. Uh, I think the testimony uh, and the actual teachings of Messiah have been distorted through uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the papacy, and uh, even through pro- Protestantism. Um, he, he actually didn't come to do away with a lot. Matter of fact, uh, to, to, to paraphrase, he says, uh, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, right? Mm-hmm. In other, other translations, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And the Greek word there is pleru, which is to preach fully, bring to the fullest, right. magnify. To which, be the goal. Right, which goal. is in Isaiah, he was prophesied that he would come and magnify the law and make it honorable, make it more honorable, right? Uh, wow. And so, interesting. So it says, and he shall confirm or make great or uh, establish the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, which I believe is, you know, um, it says in the midst of a week, which would be a year, he was cut off in the, in the middle of it, which I know there's debate whether his ministry was one year or three and a half years. Um, I have not been able to be convinced otherwise of three and a half years still. So that would make sense um, that, you know, three after three and a half years, he was cut off, right? In the midst of the week, and he shall cause a sacrifice and oblation to cease, which I believe that's what his, his offering came to do. Mm. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Jerusalem, and he did, mm. even until the consummation or the consummation of times, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And that gets into a whole other topic with uh, Mystery Babylon and Jerusalem and all that. But anyways, but the point is, and I would encourage you to search this out for yourselves. We'll leave links uh, for this, but uh, we believe Daniel 9 points 
directly to the coming of Messiah and prophesying 70 AD shortly after with the destruction right. of Jerusalem. Yep, I can't see it anywhere else. And I, I see that same image in the book of Isaiah, which mm-hmm. another prophet, right, mm-hmm. that very clearly, very clearly gives us a, a perfect image of Yeshua. So would you mind going into Isaiah? I know. Yeah, let's go to Isaiah 2. And two, yeah. uh, I mentioned earlier that Messiah has many names or many terms. Uh, the, uh, the angel of Yahuwah, the messenger of Yahuwah, which we see and we'll see in Malachi in a bit. Um, the word of Yahuwah, uh, you know, Prince of Peace, all of them. So here, uh, here we, we see Messiah as a living being called the word of Yahuwah. So Isaiah 2, verse 1, the word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of Yahuwah's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahuwah, to the house of the Elohim of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, or the Torah, listen to this, and the word of Yahuwah from Jerusalem. And he, the word of Yahuwah, shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruny hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Hmm. And so, you know, some Jews read this and be like, well, yeah, he came and we're still war and all that kind of stuff. It's not understanding those are first and second coming. First, he comes as the lamb, right? And then comes as the triumphant returning mm-hmm. uh, the lion, right? Bringing judgment, right? Right. Exactly. So, but the, the, the point here is you see the term, the word of Yahuwah is a living being mm. that goes out and judges people, right? And ends wars, those type of things. Wow. Uh, and, and so I'm, earlier I mentioned Genesis 15. So on this point of the word of Yahuwah, let's look at Genesis 15, one real quick. It says, after these things, the word of Yahuwah came unto Abraham in a vision saying, so this is not some scroll or papyrus or parchment, um, you know, being you know shown to him. This is a living being that says, the word of Yahuwah came unto Abraham in a vision saying, fear not Abraham, or Abram, excuse me, he's not Abraham yet. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. It's This is not some angel saying, this is what Yahuwah is saying to you. He's, he said, I. Mm. Right? And, mm. uh, and the reason for that is we believe that Israel has been married to Messiah from the mm-hmm. very beginning. Even in Matthew 22, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a king that made a marriage for his bride. Son. Son, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. The bride. Yeah. Oh, not the bride. Right. He made a marriage for his son. Right. And so that's the whole gospel message is, you know, sometimes it gets diluted thinking that Israel was married to the father and then the father divorced them and then the son had to come to die to marry his father's ex-wife. Like, mm. that doesn't make any sense to nope. me. It doesn't make any sense at all, right? And so what we see here is that the Messiah is the one that's been interacting with man. He was, I believe he was the one in the garden that formed Adam out of the dust. I believe that he was on top of Mount Sinai with Moses, giving him the instructions. Uh, We see him before Joshua being worshiped, uh, coming to Abraham, again, the word of Yahuwah. And he says, I, I will do these things, right? Mm. So It confirms his words when in in later in the the gospel accounts, when he says, you know, before Abraham was, I am, you know, Abraham delighted to see my day. Right. Well, if Abraham didn't know him, he wouldn't have been able to delight in that. So right. it, I, I just think all this confirms 
what Yeshua said. And, you know, I don't believe this lessens the importance or the honor or the glory of our Father whatsoever. This is the Father's pleasure was to give everything to his Son. Yeah. And I'm, to me, that makes him more awesome. Right. It's not even about just him. He made all these things for us and his Son to be united and to be united with him. Just like it says in John 17, he says... Uh, I, I pray that they will be one as you and I, Father, are one, that all, all of us may be united, mm. right? So anyways, I just think it gives more testimony to how awesome our Heavenly Father right. is. is a, he's like, son, I made this all for you right. and for your bride. Right. Enjoy. That's wow. awesome. You know what I mean? Wow. So let's go to Isaiah 53, the uh, <clears throat> forbidden chapter, <laughs> uh, as, uh, as they say. Let's go to Isaiah 53. And uh, let's read it here. When people have read this before, uh, I've watched street preachers read this and um, Jews walk by and they think that they're reading new, the New Testament. And that is very interesting. I've also seen other street evangelists speaking with atheists and reading passages like he was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, uh, born our griefs, wounded for our transgressions. They're like, who do you think that is? They're like, Jesus? People that don't follow him know that this is his testimony. Wow. Right? Wow. Yep. I was, I was watching some of Ray Comfort stuff, and it was amazing how many people correctly answered it. People that don't even believe are like, that's talking about well, you know, Jesus. Yeah. We know him now as Yahusha, yeah. Yeshua. Wow. Um, but so, anyways, Isaiah 53, let's read it. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of Yahweh revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. That was prophesied in Isaiah earlier that he would be a, an offshoot of Jesse. Mm. Um, Anyways, he has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. Like you said earlier, the, the, the cornerstone that was rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of Elohim and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Mm. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. Uh, and uh, I just want to just pause there real quickly. People have been saying recently that uh, it is true that Israel um, is designated as Yah's servant. Mm -hmm. But it's not just limited to Israel. Abraham is recognized as his servant. Joshua, Moses is his servant. David's his servant. Uh, and his son is also his servant, right? Uh, but we'll talk about that in a second, how when we read this in context, some people are trying to insert uh, false doctrine into this, saying that Israel saves itself, mm. which has never been ever anywhere in the Torah where Israel saves. It's always about Yah saving them through some miraculous means, right? Right. They always needed a judge, and then right. they wanted a king, and right. then you know it's like they they needed something, and there wasn't there wasn't a mediator. I mean, there was Moshe, but then after him, judges, kings, and that failed eventually. Right. right? They needed something greater. That's true. So picking back up where we were, um, verse six, it says, all, uh, yeah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and Yahuwah has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As he's, so all of our sins are laid on him. So it's also uh, said that, 
you know, one can't take the sins of another. That's not true. Uh, mm. We saw that in the foreshadowing of all the animal sacrifices. When you sinned, the sin was laid upon the head of that animal and the animal was sacrificed, right? right. And so he, once again, when people are like, show me Messiah, show me Messiah in the Tanakh or the Old Testament, here he is right here. It says, Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That would not work in a context of Israel and him saying that, on Israel, has he laid on Israel all the sin? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm not trying to uh, poke fun, but it just does not make any sense. Right, no, it doesn't. Verse seven, it says, he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Um, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. And we know that happened in the crucifixion scene. Pilate was like, don't you know that I have the power to release you? He's like, answer me, right? Right. And he was just like, he was silent, right? right? He answered some of the questions, but for many of them, he was silent. When he could have defended himself from all the attacks, from all the persecution, all the uh, the the false witnesses, all the lies, he could have been like, no, 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 no. And he, Pilate would have released him. Mm. But he had to fulfill this. Mm. Verse eight, he was taken from prison, which happened, and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off. We saw that in Daniel 9. Remember, Messiah shall be cut off? Right. He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. That does not make sense if Israel is this suffering servant, right? It says here, verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. We can't say that of Israel. Israel never did no violence. They did many things. They did many they transgressions. After it, yeah. They were an extremely sinful people. Mm -hmm. So because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Is, you know, Israel as a whole can't say that, but the sinless, the spotless lamb can. Mm -hmm. Yet it pleased Yahweh to bruise, bruise him. He has put him to grief when you shall make his soul an offering for sin. So when they're like, how can a man die for my sin? The Most High told you he was going to do that through his son right here. Mm. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of Yahuwah shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many. Mm. For he shall bear their iniquity. It's right there. Right? When wow. people are like, you know, where do I see Messiah's sacrifice in the Old Testament? It's right here. Mm. Therefore, and, and it says that he shall bear their iniquities. I just want to make mention real quick. Um, we, we, we acknowledged earlier that he was the high priest. Right. He was the high priest to come. Um, it, it's very clear. Um, in, in the Psalm that says, you're a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, going back to the, the high priest of old and looking at the garments, it's really interesting. It says, it says um, he'll bear their iniquities, right? So, Bearing, like, so it's like if, if you imagine uh, the context of that word bearing, it's like um, you put a heavy backpack on, you bear the load of that backpack on your shoulders, right? Well, Messiah, uh, through the garments of the high priest, we actually see a foreshadow of that. It's, and it's, it's, it's kind of touching, honestly. Um, the priest, the high priest had all the names of the tribes of Israel etched on his shoulders, right? right. And so it's like he's bearing, bearing them, right? Bearing Israel. So it said that Aaron would bear, Aaron, the the, the first high priest uh, of, of, of the Levitical order, uh, he bore all the, the sons of Israel on his shoulders. Right. A foreshadow of what Messiah would do, which is to bear us, bear us. So, and he's, like we said earlier, come on, come on to me, you who are heavy laden and burdened down, um, uh, I will give you rest. Right. right. I'll give so I've heard the argument that um, Ezekiel, you know, laid on his side and he quote unquote bore the iniquities 
of, of Israel and that that is who the Isaiah 53 is talking about. What would you say to an argument like that? I mean, he, he really didn't bear their iniquities. And even if, uh, you know, the Most High told him to lay on the side, I don't know that that's bearing his sins. He, he um, prophesied of, uh, um, of the amount of time that they sinned and those type of things. But, you know, Ezekiel doesn't hit any of these other markers as far as his soul was not an offering for sin. He wasn't bruised and afflicted and chastised. He was not a lamb before uh, the slaughter. Um, he didn't, he doesn't, you know, really hit any of these other qualifications, not to take anything from Ezekiel. No, it's much, just great, that- much greater man than I was, but I'm saying, but to fit all these little markers, it's like, you know, it's like we were saying earlier about these pagan deities. Well, if one pagan deity, you know, had this one characteristic, well, that's one characteristic out of like, you know, right. many that he did. So I would say, why can't there be two witnesses? Mm, that's a I, good one. I would say maybe, maybe Ezekiel was another witness against Israel of their sin and iniquity and showing the mercy and uh, of Yah, the most high, the, right. showing the mercy that is, is that is coming, the salvation that is coming. Um, I, I do agree that you know Ezekiel did not truly bear the sin of the world. Uh, I think that was upon the only one who could actually do that, a perfect man. Ezekiel right. was not perfect. Um, he was a man. It doesn't say anything about him being truly sinless right. uh, or blameless, uh, but Yahshua was, right. and, and he was spoken of that way. He prophesied about that, uh, yeah. of, of, and being that way. So to me, you know, I think that argument falls short. Uh, Ezekiel doesn't hit all those markers. I don't think he truly bore the sin of the world upon himself. Now, maybe in a metaphorical sense, he was on his side and this was to represent just as we see, right. as we've talked about already, the representation of many other things throughout scripture, a physical thing to represent the spiritual thing. Um, but I don't think, uh, I think that could just be another witness, yeah, right? That's a good, that's uh, a good answer. So I hadn't considered that before. Um, so it says, uh, verse 11, we finish, he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with a strong because he has poured out his soul unto death. And, and you know, Ezekiel doesn't fulfill that. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgre- uh, transgressors, excuse me. So, I mean, this is the, that is like one of the most clearest representations of uh, the life, ministry, death, uh, burial, and resurrection of Messiah and that he truly has borne our sins. If any of you are watching and have not uh, accepted the testimony of Messiah Yahusha, um, this is something for you to consider that um, he he does forgive us of everything that we've done if we simply come to him in repentance, mm. humble ourselves and acknowledge that we have done wrong in the sight of Yah, right. in the sight of, 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 of man, that we have done wrong, we've transgressed, we repent um, and we confess and we give our lives to him. That 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 is available freely to everyone. It's just Second Peter makes mention of the fact that of... The, of scriptures found in the Torah that we were once not his people, but right. we have been made his people. Right. We had once not received mercy, but now we have been given mercy freely. Mm. So to me, you know, this is the love and, and kindness of our most high Elohim and his son, Yeshua, that, you know, we, we have been dearly, deeply loved by our creator. And he's given us an opportunity to come to him, to seek him, to search him out. And if we don't, that's on us. Yeah. It's not on him. Yeah. We can't be angry with him. We we really can't be. He it's not on him. It's us. We need to go seek him out and love he's him. He's the creator. He've created he's created everything in heaven and earth, including us. And he's communicated with us. Right. If if you if you know if someone wants to deny the communication he's given us, 
that's okay. Right. You've been given your lot. This is your life. That's right. that's what you'll have, and that's right. it. But for those who believe his scriptures and believe that they're, this this life is just but a vapor, it's yeah. just but a test compared to what eternity is going to bring us. Right. Hallelujah. It's, it's going to be hard, man. Hallelujah. It's, this is this life is not. It's not an easy way out. It's not an easy life. Yeah. This isn't promised to be an easy life. It, it, once again, it would. It would not, if Yah was just force feeding the truth to us and just giving everything we wanted to us, there would be no reason of faith. There would be, yeah. it would just be like, you know, we're just uh, pampered kids, but that's just not, that's not what he gives us. He gives us trial to, to develop in pers- uh, perseverance and endurance so that we may love him and pursue him. Correct. I want to take a look at Isaiah 49, because again, some of the claims out there to try to discredit Messiah as being uh, the the central figure of Isaiah 53 that we just read, they'll say that especially some of the preceding chapters and verses leading up to 53 talks many times about Israel being the, suffer, the servant, the suffering servant. I want to read Isaiah 49, 5 through 6, and it says, And now says Yahweh that formed me from the womb to be his servant, right, to bring Jacob again to him. Jacob is another term for Israel. So there's this, there's an individual servant that was that was formed from the womb to bring back the tribes of Israel. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of Yahuwah, and my Elohim shall be my strength. And he said, it is a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. So my point is, is if this servant was Israel, so he would basically be saying, and he said, it is a light thing that you should be my servant Israel to raise up the tribes of Israel. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Much like, Think not that I have. So it's like when Messiah, when some people try to interject theology, and thinking Messiah said, "Think not that I have come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish it, but to abolish it." Doesn't make any sense, right? Wow. So, yeah, so no, in a we'll similar in a sense. similar way, if we're interjecting, saying that Israel is the servant, and and you know, he's saying that I raised you up, Israel, to raise up Israel. Like it just doesn't make any sense. It's, nope. it's this singular character, and it also says, "I will also give you for a light." the nations that you may be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. Mm, so, so good. So yeah. good. Great prophecy. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, let's take a look at, uh, let's go to the book of Zechariah. Let's go to Zechariah twelve ten. This is an interesting one. I, I made a quick mention of it earlier. Zechariah twelve ten says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look on me whom they have pierced and shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for mm-hmm. his firstborn. So I think that's kind of interesting. Um, I mean, who else can this talk about? I, I honestly believe that that if you did some street preaching and you talked to an atheist and, act ab- and asked about, uh, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, I, I would be willing to imagine that <laughs> most people would probably... Be like, well, Jesus, right? Like, that makes the most sense. I mean, if you're just using some uh, re- just straight reasoning there, I mean, to me, that makes sense in the personhood and understanding the character of Mashiach or right. Yeshua, the Messiah. Right. So, And I do believe specifically uh, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, even today, are going to be mourning. Right, and because they have rejected him, and right. we're not here to speak anything uh, against or uh, about you know any any religion or anything, but it's historical fact that they have rejected him. And again, growing up as a Jew, I know that the Jewish people still reject him today, right. and it prophesies that they will mourn for him who they have pierced, mm. right? even though the Roman soldier did the 
the, you know, the nails and the, um, the thing at the end the, to pierce him, you know, it was them. It was them right. who crucified him. Right. Even though Rome carried it out, they're the ones that said, your pilot was like, I will release him unto you, you know, your king. They and, had and they said, crucify him. And he said, let his blood be on us and on our, our children. children. Hard. Wow. That's hard times, hard times. So uh, let's take another uh, passage in Zechariah 13 that we also, again, just see little snippets of Messiah. Zechariah 13, six through seven, it says, and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in your hands? Right? Mm. Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, says Yahweh Sabaoth. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. Once wow. again, I mean, who else can huh. I be talking about in history? That, I mean, just let's just give a little input here. Geographically, if people have not studied out the Gospels and know geographically where Yeshua's ministry was, it's actually in a very small area. Mm-hmm. It's not a big area. So the fact that you know he ministered to the people who were around him is very, very true. It was near and dear friends, yeah. people who were close to him. I mean, it, it says later on that, you know, he quotes the Torah saying, right, quotes Torah that said, uh, when he says a prophet's not welcome to his own home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously he wasn't, he was not welcomed by the people in his own home. Actually, those are the people who drove him out and almost stoned him uh, on a cliff, uh, you know, but he escaped them. So it's like, there was there was so much so many people right next to him who knew about him, which is why his name got widespread very quickly. Uh, it, it's just so it's so interesting how Zechariah shows exactly his friends, his nearby ones, the the neighbors that yeah. were right there. Yep. So so interesting. Yep, it is. Uh, so and, and there's there's honestly much more. Let's go to uh, let's go to Micah five two and and. We're, we're but just scratching the surface of all the proofs huh, uh, so of Messiah that he is who he says he is. But this one I really enjoy because um, as far as the claim that Messiah is an everlasting being, um, I don't, inside the 66 book canon, I don't think it gets any clearer than Micah 5.2. Let's mm. look at this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall Come, I'm sorry, shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel? Listen to this, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Mm. The ruler, the true ruler. So David, his going forth has not been from everlasting. I'm not taking anything away from David. Right. Okay. But let's be honest, Dave was a mortal man like us who mm-hmm. was given the Holy Spirit, did Dave. many things. But Messiah was the everlasting one whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Right. He's the ruler, and it's obviously interesting that he was born in Bethlehem, just like the prophecy said it would be, mm. uh, and that he's not just a man that um, that Yah just found really righteous. And because this is another thing that's been going on, some people are claiming that you know Messiah was simply just a man uh, that somehow was able to walk the the Torah perfectly, and so then therefore Yah chose him uh, to be uh, the Messiah. Uh, not so. This is this is a being. He is a being. Uh, that preceded the creation of the world. Right. And, and Micah says so plainly. Yes. Right? I, I think that's very clear there too. And we see just even a little later in Malachi, mm-hmm. uh, another amazing uh, clear image of Yeshua. 
Um, and speaking of another reference to Yeshua being our Adon, right? Uh, I think you have the passage, yeah. uh, Malachi 3. Malachi 3. Um, and remember, just, just preface, to preface, remember, Messiah has many titles, and one of them is the messenger of Yahuwah, or other, otherwise translated as the angel of Yahuwah. Mm. And, and in no way, shape or form, is that term lowering him to a state of like the other angels, right? He's just... He's a, one of the messengers, uh, uh, one of the uh, right. Malachim, right? The word. The I word mean, is, he's the word. Right. So anyway, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. This is talking about, first talking about John the Baptist. He shall prepare the, prepare the way before me, and Yah, or the master, excuse me, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. Remember Daniel 9, it says he shall strengthen the covenant, right? right. Uh, I think modern day Christianity, I meant to say earlier with Daniel 9, I think modern day Christianity uh, improperly translates uh, Daniel 9.27 improperly, saying that that's the Antichrist making a covenant with uh, the Arab nations. It's, wow, really? Yeah, it's, yeah it's, 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 it's pretty out there. But that's the prevailing thought. That's what most seminaries teach today. But hmm. nevertheless, it says... Um, he shall prepare the way before me, and the Adon, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, or the angel of the covenant, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says Yahweh Sabot. It's, you see two people there. Yeah, Yahweh right. Sabot is declaring that he, his, I'm sorry, his covenant, he will send him, yeah. right? But who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto Yahuwah an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto Yahuwah as in the old days, as in the former years. So wow. this reformer was going to come and set things straight. The messenger of the covenant, the angel of the covenant, and Yahuwah Sabot declared it. Wow. It's, there's so many clear images here. The son of righteousness, right? Yeah. In the Masoretic, Septuagint and Aramaic. Uh, I, I think that's definitely a force. Yeah, so I, I triple check this. I'm like, okay, is this, <laughs> is this term son of righteousness, is that just in the, uh, the Masoretic? No, it's in the Septuagint. It's, in the, it's even in the, um, the Aramaic. So let's just read uh, Malachi 4. It's just uh, six verses. This is the, the last six verses of the Old Testament. It says, For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yes, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that comes shall burn them up, says Yahweh Sabaoth, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, says Yahweh Sabaoth. Listen mm-hmm. to this. Remember ye the law of Moses, which remember, this is not Moses' law. It was given to him by... Elohim, right, right. It was given to him by Elohim. Uh, Moses was just the, you know, the, the messenger that gave right. it to the people. But it says, "Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and the great dreadful day of Yahuwah, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." So it's just interesting that you know one of the last uh, uh, warnings was, "Hey, don't forget the Torah." Right, which we'll be talking more in maybe some of our uh, f- future installments or future yeah. parts in, in this discussion. But, yes. um, and, you know, I think it might be, um, I believe Malachi, uh, Malachi 4 was foreshadowing what 
John was revealed in Revelation 10. I just want to read that just really quickly. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a few passages. Revelation 10 says, And I saw another mighty angel. Remember, again, Messiah is, is the angel of the covenant or the angel of Yahuwah or the messenger. It says, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun. Mm. his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, which remember only the lamb was able to open and get. And he set it on his right, he set his right foot upon the, uh, upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. And there's, there's more, but um, just wanted to share that connection there that uh, he comes down and his face is like the sun. So is he that son of righteousness with healing in his wings? I would say yes. I would say so I as well. I would say yes. So this concludes the uh, section where we talk mainly about how the scriptures in the Old Testament, or just the Testament, prove the New Testament. And we see all the correlations, and we're just barely touching the surface. I'm sure there's countless more. And I mean, we see even in the Apocrypha as well. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that probably in another uh, uh, part, part of this. Part two. Uh, part two. But I did want to say, there's so many correlations within the Old and New Testament. And uh, there's an awesome image, which I'll put on the screen right now, uh, that shows the correlations. And a single bow is, atta- is attached from the Old Testament book or verse, uh, wherever it is, and goes to where it is in the New Testament. And there's so many that it, I think it's like uh, 6,000, uh, th- oh no, 63,779 cross-references in, in the Old Testament alone uh, to the New Testament, just their their cross-references. So like I said, if we were even to include the Apocrypha, probably even more. It's just so uh, it's so amazing to see. And the coloration they did makes it kind of look like a rainbow. Isn't that awesome? Rightly just showing, so. the, showing the promises, right? So uh, there's just so many uh, cross-references out there to prove the New Testament, to prove the, the, the validity of Yeshua as our Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone were to read from Genesis to Revelation, I think they'd, I think they'd get, even a child, I think could get the message, get right. the core message. Um, and speaking of that core message, it's hit each of our hearts very differently. Yeah. And so uh, we wanted to share just a bit of our testimony um, and how we came to know Yeshua as our Messiah. Because I think for bo- I could speak for both of us, if we did not know Yeshua as our Messiah, we would not know the way the truth, the life. We would not understand the sacrifice of which he gave us. It's a good song. Someone made a song out of those, oh. those words. <laughs> I wonder who's that? <laughs> uh, you, could, you could check it out, uh, if not for Yeshua, if you were interested in listening to that. But uh, you, would you mind sharing uh, just a bit of your testimony? Yeah, I can just, I'll show you like a, a brief overview of my life. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, I grew up in a Jewish family. My, my father uh, was born and raised in Israel. After his two years in the service, he moved out uh, to California. That's where he met my mother. And uh, I was born. And uh, I grew up uh, in a, um, I, I would call it like like a lukewarm form of Christian uh, of Judaism. Excuse me, very similar to like uh, you know modern day Christianity. Someone that just goes to church on Sundays and then really doesn't think about you know yeah the rest of the week. Um, it was a very lukewarm faith. But you know we uh, we did the Shabbats, we did the feast days, um, and um, you know throughout my life I had heard about well gee I knew uh, Jesus at the time and just you know kind of wondered why. 
he wasn't uh, the, the Messiah. My mom actually came from a Christian background. She converted to Judaism for my father. But uh, after my parents divorced when I was about 11, uh, my mom, my mother was no longer uh, hindered from sharing about Jesus. Mm. And um, I, I was very curious. I'm like, mom, tell me. And she, she, um, she didn't, she wasn't able to convey him very, very well to me, but she tried. Uh, love her. I love my mom. She's amazing. Uh, but she, um, anyways, um, it wasn't until visiting with some of her side of the family in, in Southern Indiana, I went to a Southern Baptist church with my cousins and uh, went to Sunday school or whatever they call it and was hearing about just the basic gospel message. And I don't know what it was. I think I was about 13 at the time. I just knew that what he was saying was true. It was just a very basic message that he came and he taught truth and righteousness. He taught us how, um, uh, I, don't, I, I don't, this is so many years ago, so I don't remember exactly, but it was just a basic message. And I was like, I believe in it. And mm. they had us all uh, put our heads down and right. you know, like, if anyone, if anyone wants to accept, you know, uh, Jesus as our Lord and savior, you know, raise your hand. And I was like, Right. And they grabbed me, you know. And you being a shy person, that would be not pretty. Not grabbed me, you know. They, they like, <laughs> I was just thinking like. <laughs> but you, you, know, were, you were a shy person too, so that very, must have been pretty. I, I grew up very introverted, very shy. Um, that's a whole other story. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was that was definitely out of my comfort zone to do that. And uh, he, uh, the, the youth pastor just pulled me aside and just, you know, told me a little more and asked more questions. And I was like, yeah, I believe, I believe. And so after the prayer, um, I, I may have just been a child and, you know, been, been, uh, just imagining things, but I, as soon as I accepted him, I felt this swirling in mm. my uh, what do they call it sternum diaphragm area. Mm. Could have just been like uh, could have just been like a you know something, but I felt something there, and um, you know I, I just I, I was never the same then. Uh, um, I'll, I'll make this a quicker version. Um, so I, from that day forward, I guess I would consider myself a, a Christian. But like I said, my mother was not too. Um, into going to church, mm. and I like I was like, Mom, let's go to church. And uh, bless her heart, she she worked hard. She worked 50, 60 hour weeks as a single mother, and um, just always busy. And uh, we didn't get to go to church a whole lot. So a lot of my a lot of my uh, upbringing or, or, or understanding of, of of Messiah and church was when I'd visit my, my my mother's side of the family in Indiana, which I pretty much went there all all summer breaks, all winter breaks. I spent all in Indiana with my cousins and. And uh, went to church every week there, so uh, I didn't have a, 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 a solid upbringing in Christianity, and um, uh, was a pretty decent kid. Went to high school, and then after high school, I planned on going to college, and I took one year off, and um, it was uh, September two thousand one, and uh, I woke up and saw some fl- uh, some planes flying into a building, and and mm. uh, decided I wanted to do something about it. And uh, so I joined the Marine Corps, and in the Marine Corps, I had a short stint of kind of a revival of my faith because it's interesting. Uh, it's kind of how how things work. When you go through hard times, then it's like, oh, I, mm. I need you. Mm-hmm. And so in the Marine Corps, I found myself uh, upon many hard times and uh, started going to church again and started praying to him. And unfortunately, I didn't do much with that. And after I got out of the Marine Corps, I... Um, Went into the world, into the business world, and sales was very good at it. And uh, I was 23 years old, and uh, uh, made six figures that year, and, and never looked back as far as you know income. And so, uh, I, in that regard, I had everything I wanted 
uh, worldly. Now, when you, when you make $100,000, $150,000 a year, you're not like rich. You can't buy anything you want. But for the most part, you can do what you want. You right. know, nice house, nice cars, boats, mm-hmm. motorcycles. Those are all the things that the world told me that if I had those things, I would be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, nice house, well, I could pick a fence. Actually, I don't think my house had a picket fence. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I, I had all the, the toys. I did what I wanted to. Friends. Um, and... Um, there was just something in me that was never satisfied. Mm-hmm. On the surface, I, I, I was a very successful person. Um, I was dressed nice, had nice suits, and I had the appearance that I had it all together. Um, but I didn't. Inside, I was broken. Um, I started drinking a lot, and I started drinking a lot, a lot. And uh, that's probably not good English there, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I- You drink uh, a, a lot. I, I, I became <laughs> right? a, a textbook alcoholic, mm-hmm. very high-functioning. Um, mm. I kept my career together and, uh, just honestly just wanted to drink the night away so I can go mm. to sleep and, uh, wake up and do it all. There was just a breaking point in my life where I was really tired of it. I was tired of the depression. It was like my, it was like my heart was just pouring out and there was this hole and I kept trying to fill it with worldly things. Um, and it's like every purchase that hole would be stopped up for just a little bit, but then after a while, start gushing. Never again. satisfied. Never satisfied. Never fully satisfied. And I'm like, why? I have everything that I want, you know, within reason. And um, I kept drinking more and more and kept kind of going, and, and alcoholism will put you in a spiral. Got to a point where I was so depressed, I even considered suicide. Mm. And um, I was like, you know, before I do this, let me, let me call out to this God that I've heard about all my life but I've never really known. I never really had a relationship with him. I called upon him in prayer when I needed something. And that was about it. Uh, I called myself a Christian when people asked me what my faith was. Mm. Um, But it was very surface level, just like my uh, Jewish upbringing when it was very surface level. I never knew him. Mm -hmm. And so I called out to him and, uh, you know, he answered. Um, Within days, he answered me. And um, it's kind of interesting how it happened. Um, but he he got my attention through pain, a um, a condition from a surgery I had back in the military, uh, ended up um, growing into a much bigger problem that that formed a condition called CRPS. It's mm. the most painful condition in the world. It's uh, rated higher pain level than a woman's first childbirth, mm-hmm. uh, and that pain grabbed hold of me. In the Psalms, David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I lived it. Pain is what got my attention. And I'm glad. I uh, To this day, you guys, uh, those of you that know me in person, I still, you know, mm-hmm. I, st- I still suffer from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything from just a little limp to not being able to walk at all for even a month at a time. Anyways, it's part of my testimony. Um, and um, I... I wanted to I wanted to know him more. All of a sudden, I had a thirst for truth, and I started searching truth. So I, he, he delivered me al- alcoholism. It was amazing. As soon as I stopped drinking, then it was like these blinders came off my eyes, right? Wow. And I started, as I mentioned earlier, I started searching about the truth of this world that I live in because right. now I'm finally coming out of this drunken stupor and this blindness, and I'm like, what is going on in this world? And um, around, right around the same time, uh, a man that I, I worked under, he kind of took me under his wings and um, we were talking one day and he was talking to me like this and his, his hands are right here on the desk. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, uh, I won't mention his name. I was like, so-and-so, what's that ring on your finger? I've always been wanting to ask you. 
He's like, oh, I'm a Freemason. I'm like, what's a Freemason? He's like, oh, you know, it's this, uh, you know, it's this, um, I can't remember exact words, but uh, we're this group and, um, you know, we're, we're judges, we're, we're police officers, we're attorneys, we're uh, politicians, you know, we're people in, of people in influence that want to want to do good. And, you know, all this surface level stuff of what they say Freemasonry mm-hmm. was. And, um, and he said, he actually said, I've been waiting for you to ask me this, you know, because they're not allowed to evangelize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to be waiting until asked about it. And so I asked. And so I was actually interested. I'm like, well, that sounds cool. Part of, you know, being part of the good old boys club and, you know, being part of this sounds great. They do good works. And so I started researching it. And this was 2014 mm. when the internet wasn't really censored yet. Right. So I'm looking it up and I'm like learning about Adam Weishaupt and the Illuminati and uh, all these different things. And then I'm like, it's like truth, truth, truth. Then all of a sudden I'm addicted to truth. I want to know. So obviously I did not join. I did not join. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I ended up rejecting the offer to to go. Praise you. Uh, praise you. <laughs> uh, I'm glad for that. And um but that started my journey. I learned about uh, 9-11 and a lot of these things that, uh, which that one was hard for me because mm. my whole life was changed because of 9-11. I joined the Marine Corps. Uh, well, Hollywood primed me for it because some of my favorite movies were like Saving Private Ryan and uh, a lot of these other mm. glorification of war, you know, movies. And so uh, I was just primed for that. But uh, anyway, so I lo- started learning about that and just all the evil in this world. And it, it got me to a point, there was a point where I'm like, <sighs> What hope do we have? I'm learning about FEMA camps and coffins and guillotines. I'm like, they're just going to kill us all. you know. And I'm like, you know, this world is sick and evil. But it got me to realize, wait a minute. If Satan and all of his people are real, then I know Yah is real. Right. I knew him as God at the time. And, and so I started, instead of focusing so much on all these uh, negative things or these conspiracy, conspiracy things, uh, learning about cosmology and all these, these things that really got me to, to start putting worldly things down. I started, I stopped listening to music. I stopped listening or watching worldly movies and, and TV shows because I learned how satanic they were. And it's like all this noise was shut off. Now it's like I can start communicating with my creator. I started praying to him. My whole life was dedicated to him. Every, almost every free moment I had, I was either reading the scriptures, listening to them on my commute, listening to them on any free time I had at work. Um, and just, I want to know everything about you because I know that you're real now. Right. And, um, that just kept maturing and, and my thirst and passion for the word has not died out since 2014. That eventually led into uh, 2016, early 2016, I started the, the Parable of Vineyard Ministry and uh, it was just kind of a side thing. I, I was um, an on the road salesman at that point. So I'd, I'd ha- often have like six, eight hour days mm-hmm. in the car listening to scripture all day long. If I had time in between appointments, I would just park at a park and just, uh, it, at first my ministry, I was the, the, I was the, the car the car guy, like I did, yeah. I did, you know, I did readings and stuff for my car, but uh, my passion never ceased. And um, uh, much like yourself, it, there was a, a breaking, a, a juncture in your life where you felt called to do ministry full time. Remember, right. I remember having that conversation with you. Right. I had that moment in um, in 2018 where I'm like, I feel the call to not do this as just a, I wouldn't call it a hobby, but just kind of a, a side, a side thing. I felt the call to do ministry full time, and was praying about it, praying about it, and. Um, I, um, I wanted to take the leap and he kind of helped me with it because the company I worked for went bankrupt. Wow. And then I went to go work for uh, another company and it went bankrupt. And I'm like, okay. I have a similar story to that too. I go trust ahead. you. I know what you're calling me to do. Mm. And uh, fall of 2018, um, 
he made away financially provisions for me to do ministry full time. Wow. And uh, I've been uh, doing full time ministry uh, with Parable of Vineyard uh, YouTube uh, ever since. And so, uh, but part of that testimony, of course, is I when when the 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 really big breaking point in um, coming to him was. I had I had an obsession with the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. I read it over and over and over again. And even to this day, I read Messiah's words and it makes me weep because I'm like, here's a man that is worthy of being followed. Like when I see like how he like took care of the lowly and the poor and the blind and the sick, because I'm like, I'm one of these people. I am I was blind and sick and mm-hmm. disgusting and filthy. And I'm like, I want to follow this man. You know, I would say, man, I want to follow this Elohim. And because what he says struck chords in my heart. I'm like, this is, this is it. And when I realized that his ministry, his life, um, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection was real. And I believed that he died on the cross for me and for you and for anyone, I was touched so much that I wanted to change my whole life and live for him. That that was kind of the that was kind of the catalyst of just, you know, turning off music and movies and, and I'm like, I believe. I believed in the son of I I believed it's it's still present tense. I believe in the son of Yah mm. and I want to give my life for him and I want to dedicate my life to him. I want to live for him. I want to be a man after his heart. I want to live righteously because I lived very unrighteously. Obviously, it's probably assumed that with a life of drunkenness becomes comes a life of lusts and passions right. and and detestable deeds and and as you know Paul says I am the chief of sinners well Paul I'm with you I was mm-hmm. the chief of sinners too and he saved me from my sins I know it I know his blood cleansed me and washed me and made me a new man. I was so excited about baptism that I just filled up my bathtub and I baptized myself because I, I was like, <laughs> I need to be baptized right now, you know? And uh, wow. of course, later I got baptized the right way, but um, that was just the childlike faith that he gave me. And mm. uh, I hope never ever leaves me because I like reading his word and taking it for what it says. Right. And um, so for that, I'm forever grateful and will serve him till the day I die, and that's my testimony. And there's a lot more in there. I've I'm <laughs> married. I got you know five beautiful children. Uh, one on the way. That's news for Woo-hoo! for online. Um, but um, yeah, and there's a lot more details in there. But uh, I was supposed to give you like the five to eight minute version. That's I don't, fine. I don't know how long that was. I, so. I just think that's you me. you acted you acted out in the right way when receiving the truth. Some like to hold it within themselves and just kind of stay away in their little hole and and you know pretend like. I don't need to go out in the world, but that's not the call. Yeshua says, go out and make disciples of all nations. If I can just make one more mention because it glorifies him. You mentioned earlier um, that I was very shy. I was very shy and introverted. So when I heard the call to like even just start doing videos on YouTube, like I remember that moment, my, my, my throat closed up, my hands were sweating, my heart was beating fast because one of my greatest fears was public speaking. And I'm like, no way. (laughs) But I, but there's a, there's a passage in one of, in an apocryphal writing that says, um, if you're willing, if you're if you're willing to admit your uh, weaknesses before Him, He can turn your weaknesses into strength. So, um, you know, me doing this, even this, uh, or, or or speaking in front of people, was one of my greatest fears. Right. And so that's just a witness and a testimony to Him that He was able to take someone who was just utterly in sheer terror of being in front of an audience and being able to share the truth. So He burned it within me to share what I believe he's shown me. Mm. And so I, I don't ever want to stop speaking unless he tells me to. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I think you, like I said, you, you went in the right direction, you know? Um, I, I see a lot of, a lot of people who, who don't 
understand or know how to share the zeal or to share in, in the information they receive, well, let the stirring within the heart, you know, cause you to go out and share the good news. And that could just be walking by in a grocery store in an aisle, right? And just someone looks at the Jazit seat and they go, well, what is that about? You know, you're able to share the good news. Or you see someone uh, wearing a, a, a shirt with some scripture on it and you're like, well, do you, what do you think of that? You know, and talking to them about it. It's like, th- this is this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go share. Conversation starter right Great, here. great uh, shirt right there <laughs> to be wearing around. But um, but anyway, I'll, I'll go ahead and get yeah, to my please. testimony. Um, it's it's quite different, but at least there's some similarities uh, I, I'm hearing in, in from your testimony. Um, you know, I, I grew up uh, very, very knowledgeable of at least most of the word, at least I could say, I, the, I knew the Bible somewhat well. I could answer it more. When I was a little kid, I memorized every, every book of the Bible and I was able to say it as fast as possible because I was wanting to be one of those kids. I was just like, I can do it, you know, I can do it faster than you. But I, I, I was kind of competitive, still am. Uh, but I, I, I grew up in, uh, in the church. Uh, my dad was a pastor uh, pretty much my entire life. PK. A PK, yeah. Uh, my pa- my dad was a pastor, uh, varying pastoral roles, uh, youth pastor, uh, sometimes a worship pastor, sometimes a, a speaking pastor, a um, head pastor, um, and he still is a pastor today. Uh, and I, I love my parents. They they showed me the love of Yeshua. They truly did. They showed me the love of Yeshua and um, and helped me understand what that looks like from parents. Uh, you know, my parents had been faithful to each other. Um, they've loved us children. Uh, and, and I just, I'm very thankful for, for them showing me, you know, uh, more of the Bible than I know other PKs <laughs> learned. Um, I've, I've met some friends, I've had some friends who are all PKs and they didn't learn as much of the Bible as what I was able to understand. And that's not to say that I'm bragging about, it's just my parents, they, mm-hmm. my parents showed me more. Um, I was homeschooled for a while, uh, and uh, while I was homeschooled, my dad did even a, a little class teaching us, uh, you know, the minor prophets and the major prophets, and the, you know, where's where's what the Bible says about this, and and so it was it was really good growing up in a home like that, you know, seeing the love of Yeshua. However, I I didn't quite understand what it meant for us to love Him, um, and I didn't understand the fullness of that. I had pursued my entire life pretty much. T- that I wanted to be a worship pastor. I, I really wanted that. Um, ever since I was a little kid, uh, I, I really wanted to, to see myself, uh, you know, leading people in worship. And there was pride in that at first. That's that I was struggling with that, uh, as a kid. Um, and, and as I grew into high school and college years, uh, but, uh, I, I really wanted to be that. So I, I really dedicated myself to music. Um, my parents, you know, uh, gave or not gave me, but offered me to be able to take lessons, you know, uh, so I took piano lessons for a while and then, uh, I pretty much taught myself how to play guitar. Uh, but, uh, those were, those were conduits of which I was able to express, you know, my love for God and, uh, and, and the things that were going on in my life. Um, and so it was a, it was, it was so nice to be able to have that. And my family was very, very, very encouraging of that. Cause I grew up as a little kid in the church of Christ, which is totally no instruments, no instruments. <laughs> uh, I've learned a lot of things about the church of Christ even recently, but the, the, the maybe main, for another episode, maybe for another, <laughs> episode. The, the main thing is that they don't do any instruments. Right. Um, and my parents were like, well, my dad was very, he had a very different 
frame of mind around that and was like, you know, I feel like uh, we can do that. And he had a youth group at the time and had some kids, you know, who were bringing guitars to youth group. And so they were just meeting in the basement of our home and they're like, you know, go ahead and do that. Yeah. Let's, let's let, let's let, let's let this work. And, and they started almost working its way into playing that in a worshipful way. And they started making worship, you know, uh, with instruments. And then that's when the church was like, get out, you know, I can't do this. We're shutting this down. Right. And so my dad ended up leaving. We left that and we went into more of a non-denominational church. And so all that to say, I, I, I grew up, uh, loving worship, uh, seeing this in my home. My dad played guitar and we played music almost every, uh, every night, you nice. know? So it was, it was worship music. You know, we just, I loved it. It was, it was part of my life. Part of my, uh, uh, everyday routine was just playing music. So, um, but, uh, I, I had developed habits that were very wicked. Uh, I was falling for many kinds of sins, um, but yet in my high school years, I was given many opportunities to lead people in worship. And so I was really a hypocrite. Hmm. I was doing one thing and then going up on stage and saying another. And I was truly uh, uh, leading you know, people astray, honestly, um, which is very dangerous. And I was a young kid. So it's even worse. <laughs> uh, I really feel like I, I should have uh, I should have been struck down for my for the mm. sins I was committing. I don't feel like I should have ever been getting any opportunities to lead people in worship. Um, I, I've even this is you know knowing the mercy of Elohim. Even though I was struggling with so much sin in my life, you know He still blessed a lot of those opportunities. He still allowed people to see. Uh, the spirit, you know, working. So um, I praise him for that, even though I'm totally undeserving of that. Uh, but then I get into college, uh, and as I'm in college, I realize these addictions in my life and these these worldly desires of my flesh, and I cut all that off of from me. It didn't it didn't take a short time. It was a while of me really trying to cut it off, right? Um, and I, you know, I really was trying to pursue him. And when I did, that's when I met my wife. Uh, and it was amazing. Uh, she was studying Hebrew, uh, really loved Hebrew. And, uh, I remember <laughs> the day that I was like, I, I had deep, deep feelings for her, but I was like, you know, I'm really just pursuing you right now. I'm not going to pursue women or anything. I'm just pursuing him. And I was going to hang out with her and I'm like, I'm walking down the you know, sidewalk to go see her at the student center in our school. And I'm like, Okay, I'm not going to tell her like her, you know, God, I, I love you. I'm going to pursue you, you know, just praying to him. Like, I'm just focused on you right now. Well, I see her and she just looks super beautiful, right? And she's studying Hebrew. Well, lo and behold, what is she studying? The name of Yahuwah. And, uh, you know, and it just, man, I was like, I love you. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I told her that I liked her and uh, it's pretty much history from then on uh, that, you know, we were uh, together and, um, it's because of her and her her desires to study the truth that my eyes were open to so many things that I did not know. Um, before that, me, before meeting her, she was studying um, the, the the shape of the earth. And mm. that's a big conspiracy for a lot of people. Mm. And for me, I was like, nope, because my family really, really, really loved, you know, NASA, the stars, and my little brother specifically just loved it. Right. Uh, and, and for those of you who haven't heard my testimony before, I've uh, both of my brothers, uh, I, I've lost both of my brothers. My little brother, who really, really loved the stars, you know, all that stuff, um, he died from cancer. And then uh, two years later, my older brother committed suicide. And those are my only two brothers. So it was a very, very difficult season of my life. Yeah, many, many brothers. 
but praise yeah. And I, I'm thankful for my brothers. Um, but, uh, I also am very thankful for, for my wife who was there to, to kind of help me, uh, through the loss of at least my older brother. Um, and it was those, it was those trials that helped me actually to endure perseverance and to come closer to him. You would think it would drive me further away. And I've had a lot of, actually many people tell me, why didn't that drive you further away? Well, it's because I clinged mm-hmm. to him. I clinged to him. And, and it's because of the love of, of Yeshua that I was able to, to continue in my life. I, I lost so many things in my life, but that was, uh, that was what helped me go forward mm-hmm. was just seeing the hope of the resurrection that maybe one day I'll be able to see my brothers again. But more importantly than that, that I'll be able to see my Savior who's loved me despite my sins. So anyway, fast forward. No, it, it, I, I understand. Like It, it was a difficult well, you're, season. You're losing your both brothers, man. Just, <clears throat> you've been through a lot, brother. It's Well, all praise to you. I, I know that there's there's reason for it. But losing both of my, my losing my older brother, I, I lost my younger brother before college. And then right as I was in my second year of college, I lost my older brother, who I was very, very close to. Um, but as I said, I just clung to the truth. My, my wife uh, was kind of encouraging me more and more to dig deeper in my faith, to question the things around me. I had never once questioned the things that were around me. I, that just wasn't part of my life. I was just like, yeah, that's just what I'm supposed to go do. I'm supposed to go do that. You know, like I, I, I if the world tells me to do something, you know, uh, as long as it's not against the Bible, I should do it. Right. So it's like, I would, I didn't question anything. Mm. And then I started to question things and, and really dig deeper in my faith. And, uh, as we studied the Bible together, you know, both Ruth and I, we we really came to a knowledge of the truth um, slowly but surely. It didn't, it wasn't all at once. It was like the flat earth kind of helped me see, yeah, <laughs> kind of helped me see uh, uh, more biblical cosmology, you know, um, kind of opened my eyes. I wasn't all in at one, it took me many years to actually come to be like, well, I'm pretty sure, you know, it, it didn't, I didn't even say that. I was like, ah, I'm 50%, I don't know. I'm 60%. I don't know. It just kind of kept it kept irking me. But then after that, um, you know, we get more, we got more and more into the Hebrew, which was really what drove us further into our faith, knowing the name of our Messiah, Yeshua, that he is salvation. Um, actually, you you would be shocked as to how how beautiful that is, just knowing his name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it, it, we started praying and using his name even in our Christian college. But anyway, let me fast forward a little bit. So um, Ruth and I uh, end up really just pursuing Yah uh, and kind of ridding ourselves of, of much sin and cleansing ourselves. And we get, it's at right, at the, right at that time that Yah's like, you shall be married. So we got, <laughs> we got married and then we, uh, we moved from there. I got my, my first full-time job. I had worked as a worship pastor part-time for other churches, actually many churches, but then went off and had a first full-time, kind of my dream job as I was looking for a job as a worship pastor. And I found the, what I thought was the best one. It fit perfectly with the niche Christian group that I was looking for, you know, smaller church, medium size, at least like 500 people. Uh, and, and really, you know, they, they were, they grew up, <laughs> the church grew up as Church of Christ, but then they turned to more wow. non-denominational. So it was like, oh, wow, they know me. You know, it's like, I understand them. Well, uh, we went there and it was interesting. We didn't, we didn't feel home at all. We didn't feel right at all. And it was because I feel like we were different. We were really pursuing truth, which was dividing us from those who didn't care 
about the truth. And I'm not saying everyone was like that. It was just right. the, the, the people that we were wanting to be close to was almost like we couldn't. Mm-hmm. Nothing felt right. Uh, but I was, I was really fighting for it because I'm like, this is my dream job. This is what I need, right? Kind of like what you were saying, you know? Uh, this is what I, I thought I needed. Well, uh, that's exactly when the Father opens our eyes to the Torah. And it was truly understanding. And this is a question my, my wife asked me. Truly understanding what it means to love Yeshua. You know, um, Ruth asked me one day while we were driving, how do you love Yahuwah? You ask ten different Christians, you get ten different answers. I know, but like, I, I was like, "How do you, how do you love Yahuwah?" And I'm sitting there thinking, "I don't know." I was like, "Well, pray, like, pray to him a lot." Well, I, well pray. <laughs> I like, I, I mean, I love my neighbor, and I, right. I'll, I'll go help the poor and the widow, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll play worship music to, you know, lead people in worship. This is how she's like. Well, that's kind of like loving others. Like, how do you love him? And I'm like. I don't know. <laughs> and she's like, you don't know? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, I mean, it kind of looks like it says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm like, commandments. 14, and I'm, so I'm starting thinking like, oh my goodness. If you, oh, wow. So it, it started urging, and this was right after uh, coming to finding a video that we that we found it was uh, actually through Christian truthers at the time, and it was called Identity Crisis mm. uh, and the the Lost Sheep of the House great, of Israel. Great video, and that video opened my eyes to the truth. It it showed me that we are Israel, we're grafted in, and if we're to love Yah, we're to love Him by keeping His commandments. That is love. That is how we show our love to Him. It's obedience, and so I was like, wow. But I didn't take it all at one time. And it was that question that Ruth asked me that really irked my heart that I was like, I need to know more about this. I need to understand more. So I started asking my pastor questions and I, I shared him all the things we learned. And he was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, you know, Paul, this, Paul, that, Paul, this, Paul, that, Paul, this, Paul, that. So I studied Paul a lot and I really came to a very different conclusion than him. You know, um, at one point he was saying, we're Gentiles. And then he kind of came to this conclusion that we're kind of a new Israel after kind of working through with me some, on some things. Um, and that just didn't work out. It, it never made sense to me. And I was like, I don't see what you're seeing in scripture. So then finally, you know, Ruth and I, we were, it just drove a wedge. We had to separate. Um, we didn't end up quitting ourselves. It was more of a forced resignation. Um, and uh, it was an un, un, uh, uh, I'm glad it happened. I'll just say that. Uh, I'm glad it happened because it 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 was good for us to to go through these things to to be tested, to be refined in this fire because we really had to stand our ground and it was very very hard, but uh, we ended up looking for a different fellowship because we and there was nobody near us. We were in Michigan at the time. We're like, where in the world are we going to go? Um, and we we were looking at Parable of the Vineyard. We were looking at uh, some other fellowships. Well, we ended up just going and checking it out, and you were like. I've visited the first time visiting, which, first time I ever met you. Which before you came, we were praying for someone to worship because we had a great fellowship. The only thing we were missing was worship, and like no one worked out. Someone came in, worked out for a couple of weeks, then left, and it, it, or just something happened, and they couldn't, they didn't want to play anymore. It just, and we're like, we were like, pray, like, yeah, please send us someone to lead worship. So and then you I, came in. I stepped in the door, and as soon as I met you, I don't even think we said anything to each other. He's just like, did you bring your guitar? Because you knew, uh, you, Stephen had talked to you, yeah, right? Yeah. A, a friend of ours t- had talked to you and said that I uh, I was a worship leader. Yeah. Um, I was like, and cool. I, 
and I had been communicating with a previous elder of the fellowship, like talking about, you know, the fellowship and wanting to come. And actually this, this previous elder helped me out a lot uh, in coming to the knowledge of the truth. So it was really awesome because I came there, met all these awesome people. And you didn't were, know you were coming for, for a, uh, for a tryouts. No, I had <laughs> no idea. So I ended up leading people, everybody in worship, which was actually scary because I realized all these people know the Bible. Way better than I've ever, you know, in any in any audience I've ever played in front of, right? Any congregation I've ever played. These people really are there to seek truth, and mm-hmm. it scared me. I was fearful. I was like, these people have a reverence for Yah. I'm like, oh boy, you know, I I just it was such a different crowd than I've ever been, I've ever felt comfortable in. Um, but anyway, after that moment, we realized this is where we need to be. It was he was a very firm calling that we needed to be there. Um, and since then, I've seen Yah really do a lot of amazing things in in just helping us through. Uh, like you like you were talking about, you know, um, you're doing full time ministry. Well, I had a normal job, and uh, it, I felt Yah putting it on my heart. I had a conversation with you uh, that maybe I, you know, maybe we should do this. Is this something that I should do? And you really encouraged me to do so. And I was like, yeah, I feel I feel that. I, before I talked to you, I felt like I should, but I didn't want to because I felt like I needed to be working and mm-hmm. making money for my house. But uh, Yah really put it on my heart. I need to just, just let that go because Yah's put a greater calling on us to go and do ministry and, and just to say, to let all these things go and just... And I'm glad. We're, I think the I think the the believing world is glad that you did because how many of those songs would you have not had the time to? Create I would have never had time if you were a full time full time. So Ruth and I, we had this ministry. Left and Right Ministries is our is our ministry, and um, we had this ministry long before we were even married. And uh, we've so we've had it in our hearts to do this, but because of my jobs, I've never been able to fully pursue it. Mm. And so I got here, and it was the same thing. It's just my job was in the way. And so I, I just told my boss, I have to go. Actually, it was interesting because he did help me. He The the uh, job I was with uh, ended up um, having to lay off all of their workers oh, except right. for seven that's, people. That's right. uh, I was able to get another job like right around the corner, literally within the weekend. But that job just never fit. Was that the cabinets where you're busting no, up your fingers? No, the, the cabinet one? was the first one. The second one, I was building like <laughs> plastic. I was building plastic furniture and it was just... Oh, I was miserable because I, I wasn't building anything. I was oh, just yeah. taking things off of a, a belt pretty much. But anyway, so I just I, I just felt empty with with that. And I was like, I'm not doing what I feel like I need to be doing. And that's, yeah, pushing, irking me. It's like, you need to go trust in me more, right? And so I let that go, uh, went into full-time ministry, and Yah has totally provided, you know? And just as you've seen his hand of provision, I've seen his hand of provision. He has helped us. And we have not been in need. He's Same. he has taken care of us. All praise to Yah. But uh, it all started with n- understanding what does it mean to love, as He has loved us. Right. Yeshua has loved us. He has poured out His life for us, and He took a brutal suffering, took upon Himself the sin of the world. And yeah, I may have had an, a previous understanding of the Messiah, maybe more so than others had in their lives, but. I didn't I did not know him, truly know him until I started questioning. Right. Same. Searching the matters out. Same. And when I searched it out, I saw the depths of his love and that I needed to, even if it was contrary to my very nature, even if it was contrary to the 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 worldview that I had previously, I needed to follow him. I needed to be obedient. And I may lose my family and friends because of it. 
but I will go forth knowing that I'm pursuing him and that I'm trying my best to be obedient to him and his will. Praise you. And one of the one of the parts of your testimony uh, you didn't share is so right after the tryouts, uh, <laughs> I was like, uh, "Well, we got Sukkot coming up pretty soon. Do you want to lead worship at Sukkot?" <laughs> right. And, and for oh, those man. of you that may not be familiar, Sukkot is uh, it's pretty much it's the big it's one of the seven feast days that we mentioned earlier, and it's like the big party, right. you know, at the end of the year. And that was Sukkot 2021, which to this day is still one of the best times of my life. I think Sukkot 2023 may have just- That was pretty good. Edged, edged it 2021 over. 2021 was awesome. It was awesome. It, it was awesome because we didn't know what we were doing. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and it just, it worked. We were just stumbling upon it. We, we, we saw it. a miracle there uh, where, you know, this this heavy storm was coming upon us. Almost everyone's phone was going, eh, 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 you know, because the tornadoes Tornado were in the warning. area and some people were leaving and other people were like, no, uh, Lyndon, was, Lyndon and Ruth were up on stage leading worship. Um, people were outside. There's probably 50, 60 shofars blowing. Oh, People are praying, and this storm just goes right around us. Like there's it literally this, splits. Yeah, I watched pe- it split. Pe- People have it on their. Uh, they record on their phones. Uh, the storm split, went around us, and then came back together. It was, it was just amazing. It was amazing. It was a miracle. But um, that's that's been a, I think a highlight of of our lives and our ministries coming together early at the beginning of this. I mentioned that um, I'm with Parable of the Vineyard. Uh, he's with Left and Right. But together we form Ancient Path Revivals and. Um, the vision we have is is to really share the good news of Messiah, salvation uh, by belief and following Him. And following Him, we we both have understood that's a little different than than, than both of our upbringing ha- have um, has shared with us. You know, instead of the commandments of men, uh, actually following the commandments of the Most High, right. literally walking like Messiah walks. So it's like, okay, let's take that literally. So if He cared for the the sick, the poor, the blind, the maimed, um, well, we're gonna do the same thing. Um, you know, if He kept the Sabbath day, um, we're, we're going to do that. Do if he kept Passover and unleavened bread and, uh, you know, if he's trumpets and suka, hey, let's do that. Let's if he that. wore those strings, the same strings that that woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years, grabbed they grabbed onto too. the hem of his garment, the mm-hmm. tassels. Well, if he wore those, hey, why don't we? And so um, we'll, we'll talk more about this in, in the uh, upcoming uh, parts of this, but um, I have to say just, you know, just to finish up testimonies, is, you know, the some of the best times of my life. Uh, I've been over the last three years doing, uh, hosting feast days together with you um, mm. and our ministries, ministries partnering, to, uh, partnering together. One of the things I love about the ministry, uh, about the feast days uh, is, I don't know if I'm using the right word. It's like almost like the culmination of our faith. And when I, mm-hmm. when I mean that is- I see what you're saying. In Peter, Second Peter, uh, he talks about this kind of- uh, lack of better terms, evolution of our faith. Mm-hmm. Faith leads to virtue, virtue leads to knowledge, knowledge right. uh, leads to, to godliness, and godliness leads to steps. Everything leads to brotherly love. And when we are at these feast days, there's no world influences. It's just, it's us as people, however many are there. We have a tent, we have, we eat together, uh, we, we camp together, um, we worship together, we dance together, we're up at campfires until <laughs> you who knows what time every day. It's like, it's a glimpse of the kingdom. Right. And for anyone that hasn't celebrated some of these feasts, I'd highly recommend you, if, if there's nothing else you took from these, uh, from this study, hopefully, hopefully uh, you can conclude like we have that, um, the scriptures are are true. They're reliable. We can rely on them. Right. Uh, that it's factual, historical, and spiritual and moral guidance for our life. And the path to salvation has been communicated to us through our Creator through these writings that have been preserved for us. And because of that, yeah. we can we can with confidence believe on the Most High through His Son as He's as He's given us. 
and, and to walk as he walked and that we will have everlasting life. And that's right. available uh, to anyone out there. So if you're still with us, uh, hopefully um, some of these things have, have um, um, ring true in your ears. And if you haven't called upon him for salvation, this would be the time, you know? Uh, I can't tell you exactly what to do, but maybe some suggestions is to uh, maybe get on your knees, uh, pray yeah. to him, call upon him, say, right. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. Uh, I believe that you sent your son uh, and I want to walk as he walked and and um, make that declaration, uh, maybe even make a public declaration of being baptized in his name mm-hmm. uh, and then and then further discipleship and refinement in your life and walking out as he walked. And I think to finish up testimonies, I don't know about you, um, I have never found satisfaction in this life until I really believed on the Most High through his Son and started walking in the commandments, a.k.a. the law, a.k.a. the Torah, which is not a burden. First you know, mm-hmm. John 5.3 says his commandments are not a burden, right. but they're actually a delight. David, a man after his own heart, delighted in the Torah. He sang Psalm all about one. it in the Psalms, right? Right. right? Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is another good song you should check out by Left and Right Ministries. But uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, this is part one. Um, we're going to finish up with a song. Can you tell us a little bit about this song? So we we mentioned Revelation five, yes, and uh, you know who is he who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is he who is worthy of of opening such a incredible document? Well, not the angels, right? Mm-hmm. Surely not. No man. No man. But he who is the son of Yah, and when he opened it, you know, it's like when he opens it, there's great, well, tribulation, uh, there's judgment, uh, and also the coming uh, of of the kingdom, um, but. Who is he who's worthy to open that? Only Yeshua, only the lamb. Um, why do they say worthy is the lamb? Why, why do they say that? Because he was the perfect sinless lamb sacrificed for our sin. That's right. And there's no one else in all creation who was perfect like him. And so- That's why he stayed Abraham's hand because right. Messiah is the lamb slain from the very foundation of the world. Exactly. And so there's, there, there's no other who is worthy and for us to come together with all the heavenly beings and to proclaim together, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Holy is his name. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. I think we should sing that with our entire life, with everything in us, because truly we would not understand his sacrifice. We would not understand why. what is our purpose in living in this world without him. I know for me, at least in my own understanding and my testimony, I would have no purpose without him. And so my purpose uh, is found within sh- within the, the love of Yeshua and that I desperately want to show this love to those around me and to him alone. Singing worthy, worthy, worthy are you. So that's what the song Worthy is the Lamb is all about. So. Praise Yah. Praise so yeah. I hope you'll sing uh, sing along. The words will be on screen. Uh, but before we end, uh, at least part one, uh, Lyndon, we're in your house. Would you uh, <laughs> mind uh, uh, leading us off in prayer or let's, finishing off the prayer? Let's, let's pray. Father Yah, our Elohim, we thank you so much for your word, the word that was there in the beginning and the word that was made uh, full in, in, in its completion uh, into being, uh, when uh, he came as a man, uh, this word that uh, shows us the love and mercy of the Father in heaven and how we're to act, how we're to be, thank you for this perfect example. 
Thank you so much for your son, Yeshua. We love you, and we just want to love you with our lives. We want to offer ourselves to you. And Father, I just pray that the hearts of those uh, who are listening would be convicted, that they would truly repent to you if they have not yet repented to you, that they would fall on their knees before you and truly worship you with their lives, that they would love you as you've commanded them to. Father, I pray that uh, we would see more and more of who you are and what your, who and what your son is about. And, and I just pray, Father, that we would uh, desire to be like him and all that he was, the perfect example of the Torah of walking it out in, perf- in perfection. May we seek this perfection with our lives and may we cut off from ourselves the sin and flesh of the world. Father, would we please just, would you please just convict our hearts uh, to repentance so that we would put off these, these desires of the flesh and that we would walk in uprightness before you. Father, please forgive us of the sins in our lives. We know we are totally undeserving of your mercy and of the atonement that was made in Yeshua. Father, we we worship you now and we just give you all of our hearts. Please continue to lead us in truth and righteousness. Thank you so much for Adam and his ministry. I pray you place a blessing upon him that you would bring healing to his body and that you would remove this pain from his being and you'd strengthen him. And Father, we we just pray that you would uh, put within us a fire to continue to do this ministry and that uh, hopefully by your will, by your hand, we would be able to to go uh, even further into all the nations and, and to show them who you are and who you're, what your son is about. I, f- I pray, Father, that that same fire would be placed in those who are watching, that they would desire to go out and share the good news and that they would not stop singing the gospel song, knowing mm-hmm. that Yeshua is their salvation and that they have no other way uh, into eternal life but through him. And so I pray, Father, that they would, uh, that the people listening today, right now, uh, wherever it may be, whatever time it may be, that they would, be, uh, that their fire would be put within them to an all-consuming fire to go and, and just share the love of Yeshua and what it means to love him. We give you all of our lives, Father. Thank you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings. Shalom. We'll see you in part two.
So I've been washed by the blood of a risen lamb. I will worship you, yeah, with all that I am. I give you my life, every breath I breathe. I'll never stop singing of your glory. I'm giving you the glory.